Sonia and Sasha, for real. This is our last show. Yep. Merry Christmas show. Okay. Merry Christmas. We've got so much going on. I want to tell you, everybody, just one more time, just who's involved today. So we've got our beautiful brother, DJ Big Brooklyn, all the way from New York City, who is the headlining DJ at Jay-Z's. Uh, Club 4040 in uh, in New York City and is a friend of ours and our beautiful friend from New York um, who's made it out from the snow, who's inside, warm and toasty, oh. we hope, and is hanging out with us for the whole show. We have coming up Wayne and Tom from Gogglebox. <gasps> we should get them we in a couple them. of minutes. We have get them in, in a couple of minutes. And then we've got Michael Williams talking about politics going on in, uh, in the States. And then after that, we've got DJ Big Brooklyn interviewing us. Us. Hey now. Can you believe it? Hey. What have we got to say? I'm not sure ready. what we've got to say. Oh, we're ready. We're ready, baby. I don't know. I don't know what we've got to say. We've been talking all year. Is there anything more that we can reveal about ourselves? Well, hopefully a little bit. And then later <laughs> on, we've got um, we've got the beautiful Ursula Carlson for a one-hour special. Now, let me tell you, how's your school holidays going, Sash? How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm, you I'm happy. Can't you tell how happy I am? I'm wearing my glasses because I can't see. Do you know? I'm I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I just love spending so much time with everybody. <laughs> I love everybody home in my house. We're all happy. Um, and we're bonding. Like I just can't tell you. The bond is so thick. It's thick. Well, I think love is just oozy. It's We've had them for six months, you That's know. So what's another six? Another hang on seven a second. Minutes on. Hang on a second. It's seven not weeks. been six. We're about at nine months. We're yeah, about hanging out right. at about nine months yeah. now. You're absolutely right. And then we had, and then yeah. so now we've got them for another seven weeks. Thank the Lord we don't have to homeschool though, because if that happened again, there's not enough oh. alcohol in the world to cope with that. Well, I don't think my kids <laughs> will pick up a book. At all? No. Why would you? If there's PTSD, <laughs> if they pick up a book, it's like remember what Mum made me do. Remember yeah, what they'll, do. they'll definitely pick up Netflix or some sort of something, but they will definitely not pick up a book. And I mean, I really am proud of those parents that their kids read. I bet you your kids read, don't you, Brooklyn? I bet you your kids do, don't they? Because you're perfect, right? I bet you they don't go, oh, Dad, I don't need another Netflix. Just give me the book. I'll read the book. Is that what happens at your house? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. They, 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 they're pretty good. They're pretty good students. You know, every once in a while, they, they gotta, you know, get a little bit of an adjustment. But you know, they're, they're, they're very good students. You I know, love they, how you said that. A little bit of an adjustment. Yeah, you know. I can't imagine you angry Brooklyn. I can't imagine you being like the angry dad at all because you're so it's, chill. It's, it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> I never want to say it. I never want to say it. All right. No, hey, do I get angry? Hang on. Do you get angry, Sonia? Do I get it? Do I? Do you, me? Well, I don't get. I never get angry. I'm just at peace. I, was just I telling, think that response answered your question. <laughs> I was just saying to um to Wayne and Tom before we we went to air, thank the Lord for double glazing and double brick. That's all I can tell you because yeah. there, there might have been some departments coming to my house to rescue myself or all the children or both. Yes, all right, um, I want to bring I, in. I, I've actually I've yelled so much during this pandemic. Spit has come out of my mouth and I've weed. I think I've weed yelling yeah. at them like go, yeah. I'm just losing my mind. From we it. all have. We all have. Do you know what? This is what I'd like to do. I'd like Tell to bring us. in Wayne and Tom from Gogglebox Yay! right now and introduce the guys. Hello, Wayne and Tom. Gogglebox. Hey, how are you going? Sonia oh. Hey, hey. <laughs> can I just say, hey, I brought, I brought a cocktail as well here because I just, we, if, I, if you're going to drink on this show, so am I. Yes, well, it's after midday somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, uh, in New York. Aren't we on New York time? I mean, if we're hanging out with uh, DJ Big Brooklyn here, we've definitely got to be hanging out on New York time. He doesn't need any other excuses, Sash. 
<laughs> now, okay, tell us. Tell us about Gogglebox. How was that experience for you guys? We miss you. Oh, uh, look, it was mind-blowing. Who would have thought? I mean, when we were first approached to do the show... We were drunk in a park. <laughs> to all the people walking by and this guy behind us said, oh, you two are hilarious. I want you on TV. And we went, okay, we'll sign away. No the way. We up and went, what the hell did we agree to? That sounds like the worst idea. They're going to film us watching TV. That sounds ridiculous. Yeah, so we, we weren't going to do, we didn't do the Skype call that we were supposed to do with London and then ten, uh, it was about five days later, there's a knock at the door, there's an entourage of people going, uh, we want you on the show and then two weeks later we're filming. Yeah. But who would have thought it would have ended up the way it did? We all Logies. Season one is going to end up on some obscure channel, you know, at mm-hmm. 12 o'clock at night and here it is. Well, they're up to season 13 now. The show's four ladies. It's mind-blowing. And it all started from England. So, yeah, Sasha, you were right. Gogglebox originated in England. America did try and do a version of this. It was called Couch Potato, but apparently it failed. But they have just done Celebrity Gogglebox in America. Which is the area on the moment. Oh, I've seen some of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Raven, Simone, and. Um, Who is Raven Simone? Curtis Stone's on there. Yeah. Oh. Well, he's Aussie. He's Aussie. Aussie. Yeah, the Osborne's are on there. So Aussie's on there with Sharon. Yeah. And Aussie's not looking well, let me tell you that. <laughs> no. I, I, I thought Aussie died. Hey. <laughs> I thought, didn't Ozzy die a long time ago? Like, no, not, no, I mean, people, not in people, real people life, like but forever. like, <laughs> yeah. People like that live forever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's preserved. He's preserved. Yeah. Pretty I much. Mean, I think he's got so much drugs and alcohol inside of him. Like, it's 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 actually keeping him functioning alive. The reason you guys were so brilliant was because you were so authentic and so real. Like, did you make a conscious effort to be like that on the show? No, not at all. I mean, we never went on to this show to be famous, did we? Correct. So we never thought, oh, if we do this show, we're going to be the next Bachelor or, you know, like... <laughs> that was never going to happen. No, well. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people did go on the show wanting fame. And we just thought, you know what, if we're going to do it, we're going to have a lot of fun. The good thing about the show is they never told us what to say. Unfortunately, only 90% of what I say makes it to air. The rest of it. <laughs> but they never stopped us. They just let us go and they took out what they wanted. Yeah. Oh, my God. So oh. is that the kind of stuff that has to be on the Sonia and Sasha Up Late show? Is that what? Oh, yeah. I don't think it even make that. <laughs> oh, is it that bad? It's that bad. But and do you, now I've actually worked out you're a lawyer, Wayne. Is that correct? No, I wish. Oh, oh wait on. How, what, do you, what do you do then? Um, I'm head of learning and development for Australia's oldest mutual company called Australian Unity. Ah, oh, see, do you know why? Because someone's bumped into you that I know in a law firm and they're like, oh, I've seen that guy from Gogglebox. He's always in a law firm in the city. And so I thought, oh, you're definitely a lawyer. Yeah, no, I'm not that smart. I don't. Do you hang out with lawyers? Do you hang out with lawyers? No. 
Well, what the hell were you doing in a law firm in Melbourne? <laughs> I haven't been into Melbourne yeah. forever. No, I was completely wrong. Whoever it is, someone's spotted a double of you going yeah. out and and, uh, to, and and I think they had a conversation with them in the elevator. So they must have just gone, yeah, 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 I'm from Gogglebox. <laughs> there you go. Right. Completely right. stuffed that one up. Guys, lockdown was really tough on all of us, but you gave us cocktails with Tom and Wayne, Wayne and Tom. Tell us about how that all came about. Well, look, it was like, you know, for all of us in, you know, entertainment in industry, everything came to a grinding halt. So, and this one got bored really quickly. So within the second week, he had cabin fever. So basically I did it just to keep him amused. Yeah. Um, but it was a really great way just to tap in and keep those connections with, you know, friends and family um, and just the network of people that are out there, but also an opportunity for those, for those people in the entertainment just to talk around what they're doing so we can help support them. Yeah. Oh, you know what? You give us the laughs. We just love that you've given us so many laughs over the, over the time because it was really tough on all of us. And you've got a new TV show coming up, Tom. Tell us about that. Well, look, I'm very excited. So I'm going to appear in this Adventure All-Stars TV show, which is, comes from Channel 7. It's done by Charity TV Global. So basically what it's doing is I'm out trying to raise as much funds as I can for a fantastic charity called Project Karma. Yes. Oh, we Tell love about Project that. Karma. Project Karma. Well, look, they are a fantastic, you know, organisation, not-for-profit, I should say, charity. And like their mission is basically to stop child exploitation by whoever, wherever, and wherever it's occurring. Yep. So important. We kind of, do you know what it was? During lockdown as well, I, I was stressing and I'm not working and I was doing things. And Wayne actually said to me, you need to do something for somebody else. And I thought, well, that is so true. And the opportunity came and Project Karma, I jumped straight on board. And look, you know, we've raised three kids and, you know, we want every child in the world to be a child, have that childhood and have an opportunity, you know, to grow up and have fun. And, you know, we, we've been able to do that and very fortunate that we could do it with our three children. And so, you know, we're just paying, Tom's paying it forward and helping a, an amazing group of people make sure that that happens for kids, not only in Australia, and but for the rest of the world. Oh, that's gorgeous. We love Project Karma. We've been working with Project awesome. Karma for a number of years. And so it's really, really special. Now, you guys, during um, lockdown, you celebrated an anniversary. How many years have you guys been together? 20 years. 20. Oh, my God. I know. And I'm only 29. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, with Project Karma. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you know, it was, it was really sad what, you know, with COVID because, you know, the kids wanted to know what we were going to do for our 20th anniversary and we were actually going to get married. So all of <gasps> put on hold because what a better way, 2020, 20 year anniversary, let's just yeah. tie the knot. Um, but yeah, unfortunately all of that got put on hold. So we'll do it next year. It'll be 21. It'll be 21 years that we've been together. Yeah. And amazing. We'll get oh, married. That's amazing. Oh, thank you so much for being on the with us today you guys we adore you and we'll, you. we'll keep on watching everything now but you can go to facebook and see all of the recorded versions of cocktails yes yes all right so get on that and then um and stay in contact with the guys and see what's going on with this new television show and all of the oh, other things 
you're doing so you'll find the link there and everybody can donate so one dollar is going to go towards project karma and they do some fantastic work they don't just save the children but they actually put the effort into helping rehabilitation education so this stops happening we need and we need to make we need to get it out there because this needs to stop. We've had it under the carpet for way too long. Yep, you're it's right. getting worse. Yeah, yeah. you're so right. I'm so yeah. proud of you. And you know, I got to see Tom on Sunday because we did some work together and it was just absolutely beautiful. And I just love your heart and how you work with everyone. And you're absolutely gorgeous. And you are going to rock on this TV show because you're going to be doing some adventure stuff, which is a little bit scary. Yes, I'm, but- I'm really excited. I'm, I'm- I can't wait. Hopefully it's going to put me out of my comfort zone because nothing looks worse than me without a drink and scared because God help me. <laughs> so potentially you could be jumping out of an aircraft, maybe swimming with sharks. Like oh my there's gosh, crocodiles. <laughs> yeah. crocodiles. Like there's no limits. Is that right? Well, yeah, there's no limits. We have no idea what we're going to happen and they're going to film it. It'll be shown on Channel 7 later on next year. But, you know, look... We're really lucky. We get to raise money for a fantastic charity, but then we get to have some fun afterwards. So, yeah, yeah I'm going to have some fun. Oh, love well, that. Thank you. I love that. You guys are brilliant. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank Stick you. around. We're going to a break, and straight after that, we've got Michael Williams from the Project uh, Political <laughs> Journalist from Washington, D.C. Thanks, boys. You're brilliant. We love Thank you. Bye. Have a great Christmas. Have a good one. Nice meeting you guys. You too. You're you listening too. To Live on Live FM. This is a Sonia and Sasha for Real Show. We'll see you after the break. You're listening to Brimbank Live on Live FM. This is the Sonia and Sasha for Real Show, last show of the year. Sash, can you believe that we've done no, this? No, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to say goodbye yet. I'm not ready. Absolutely the same. So we've saved our most special guest to last uh, today. And let me do the formal introduction. How do we get our guest, Sash? We, we, we stalked them. I don't know why the CIA hasn't offered us a job now. We're next level at this stuff. I'm not sure why that hasn't happened yet. It's a missed opportunity. Anyway, our special guest today is an author, speaker, journalist, host, and contributor to CBS Radio America and several other media outlets. Majored in English literature in college, is on numerous boards and involved in charity organisations across the states, is a consultant to foreign policy for both US and foreign government agencies, plays a mean round of golf, has the sharpest dreadlock suit combo game ever, and you would have seen him break down the debacle of the recent US elections as the political correspondent on Australia's very own The Project. Please welcome Mr Michael Williams. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's uh, an honour and a pleasure to be on with you. Hey, Michael, how does it feel like to have a resume like that? Um, you know, it, it um, doesn't feel like a resume. It's sort of like a, just a, a bunch of stuff that I did, you know. <laughs> so yeah. it's, um, but it's, it's been fascinating. I've had a lot of, um, uh, a really lot of amazing opportunities. And um, I, I sort of believe in uh, uh, getting into places and sort of interesting things happen to you. So um, I, I really had a lot of great opportunities to be in, in special places, met a lot of... Uh, amazing people and that's what i enjoy most is meeting people and then sharing those stories um like we're going to do here today just sharing those stories of how people really can connect together especially during these times when there's so much strife there's so much um, discord um really at their core people are people we have many many more similarities than we do differences i know that sounds trite but i really do believe it so um i hope that my life in some ways a testament to that my first job out of school was working for the guy who actually did invent the internet. No, it wasn't Al Gore. It was a guy by the name of uh, Vint Cerf, Vincent Cerf, who along with his uh, partner, Robert Kahn, 
uh, wrote the uh, TCP-I3P protocol. The internet protocol is basically the, the uh, building blocks for the internet, uh, the information superhighway. He wrote that. And uh, I was working on the internet when it was basically, you know, about six cities and four blinking lights. And uh, we were helping to keep the whole network together on a national and international basis. So um, it's been kind of fascinating for me to be there at sort of the, uh, you know, stick and sp uh, spark stage of the internet and see what it's grown. I mean, that's, that's a book in itself. You were there at the beginning of the internet. Sonia just got NBN. So like, this is a big step for her, do you know what I mean? She just got NBN and you're like, hey, I was there when I created it. No offense, right? But you're a little bit slow, Sonia, in that one. Okay, Michael, let's get straight to it. What is going on in America with all the politics? What is going on? Help us explain. Where can we start? Where can we start? Because we don't we get it. What Explain us like a two-year-old. Now we've got we've got our political correspondent Marcus Napolitano here today with us as well, so he's going to to weigh in on this whole thing. But we would like to know, I mean, what? Yeah, what the hell? What the hell? There you go. That's the title of the book right there. Um, <laughs> it's funny that you asked for it to be explained uh, like you're a two-year-old because currently it's being run by a bunch of two-year-olds. <laughs> The United States obviously has had a very troubled past. And people say that we have, are more divided than we've ever been. I say it's easy to debunk that because we've actually had a, a, a civil shooting war. So um, we have been more divided and we have come together. This is probably the most divided we've been though um, since that period of time. Um, I think a lot of it goes back to um, sort of the 60s and uh, the Johnson administration where you had civil rights being a part of the new ethos of America when justice, really liberty and justice for all uh, began to be put into place with things like the Voting Rights Act. We enacted our whole social safety net. Um, my father was part of the group of people that helped um, enact uh, equal efforts, employment opportunity across the federal government. And that was in the 1960s and 70s. You know, he came south, he came to the, to the north on a train with uh, the same train as my mom, not knowing they were coming on the same day because both of them faced segregation and even possible murder, you know, in South Carolina for doing the things that they wanted to do. My mom just wanted to be a nurse. My dad just wanted to have a career. And in order to do that, they had to move. So um, they dedicated themselves to that, to that purpose. And in the 60s, those things started to come into fruition. Now in 1965, you had the Voting Rights Act. What is that? That says that anybody, especially African-Americans can vote without having to face onerous restrictions. There were laws in, in states that said, well, in order to vote uh, African-American man, African-American woman, you have to guess how many jelly beans are in this jar, or you have to pay a tax that is equal to a month's worth of your salary in order. So these are obviously onerous and uh, uh, racially prohibitive laws. And these were struck down in 1965. 1965, within my lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, so that happened in 65. In 1968, we had a presidential election where an openly racist candidate, George Wallace, won 19% of the vote. So immediately we had the response to America of America to this, this call to liberty and justice was, no, thank you. Um, so we've been working it out behind the scenes for quite some time. In the last 20 years, you've had conservative talk radio, this conservative media, and now add to that um, the internet, Facebook, and these sorts of things, which have stirred the pot for this type of um, hostility towards um, a movement towards justice. And this is, with Donald Trump, you just have for the first time a leader who is willing to tap into that vein of, of malignant uh, behavior that has existed for a long time.
He's just been willing to tap into it. And rather than tamp it down, as every leader has done in our history, especially the 20th century and 21st century, he has chosen to use that as the guiding force and the power source um, for his whatever you might whatever he might call leadership. Um, so what's going on, I think, is is a an exposition of something that's been uh, in the, the the American makeup, the American DNA for a long, long time. It's ugly, it's hurtful, it's embarrassing, and it's dangerous. But the good news may be that it would never ever be excised without being open. So maybe this will save us because having having it boiling under the surface means that it is a tumor that definitely would have killed the country. And the fact that it is now exposed means maybe possibly it can be exercised. We'll see. How can somebody like Trump, I mean, he, he denies it. Like he said that he, he says that he's not racist, yet he is. Like how does, how does that even come about? Uh, okay. So I, I have some, some experience with Donald Trump. Um, from my experience in the golf world, as you can see over the shoulder, um, I, uh, for a period of time, ran golf courses. Again, another book, another story. Uh, but I do golf travel writing and um, I uh, help uh, with uh, a lot of issues in the golf industry. Um, so I have met Donald Trump on several occasions. In fact, I had lunch with him two days after he announced he was running for president. And um, it was at his golf club here outside Washington, D.C. And I guarantee you, this guy did not think he was going to win. It was not the point. It was uh, to build his brand. He, he has, his business has basically been an utter failure <laughs> in everything that he's done, except for the licensing thing after he built his caricature based on the TV shows of pro wrestling and The Apprentice. So he turned his whole business from a failing uh, 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 real estate enterprise into a moderately successful licensing enterprise. Um, Donald Trump may not even think that he is a racist. He may not even think that he's a bigot. What he thinks he is is practical because he grew up in a New York City that was extremely tribal and racially divided. His father was an abject racist. I can even openly say that. He is a guy who thought that, and they, they were slumlords. That's how his father made his money was low rent apartments, horrible apartments in, in horrible places in, in New York City. Um, and when he ever got something that was sort of worthy of actually being rented, a livable um, a habitat, he would say, well, these people, black and brown people, well, those are the people you don't rent to. That's how he defines it. And he just thinks that's being practical. And I think that there are large swaths of America who don't feel that they're negative, don't feel that they're racial. They're just saying, look, well, just look at them. Look at how they are. They are this, they are that. And they will pass judgment on things that are anecdotal. And take that to be being honest. And then you have sort of this, this trope now of um, political correctness. You know, that's become uh, a, a trope for being mealy-mouthed and being dishonest. It's quite the other way around. Um, so I think Trump gives voice to people who have prejudices, have bigotry, and al it allows them to say, I'm not bigoted, I'm just honest. And what I say is, you are honestly bigoted. <laughs> but again, it's all how you picture yourself. Donald Trump gives people the opportunity to have those feelings, to have those ignorant attitudes, and to not only not pay a price for it, but actually be elevated for it in some circles. 
We've gone from from Obama, who was so presidential and inclusive, and you know, I mean, we've gone to the complete opposite of what Obama was. Do you think now with the Biden um, Harris government that they will actually bring about the significant change that that everybody's begging for? Clearly, through the BLM, um, you know, protests and what's been going on, which I love. You call you, I think you referred to as a a social tantrum on um, on the project. But do you think that they have what it takes to actually instigate this change that everybody is clearly, you know, I mean, the people have died in these protests. You started with Obama, so I'll start with Obama. Yeah. I, I think that uh, Barack Obama is obviously a, a, a gifted person, mm -hmm. uh, a gifted communicator, and uh, someone who grew up, I empathize with him because he grew up in the way that I grew up. I went to, a matter of fact, I went to the same school that his daughters went to. It's a school called Sidwell Friends yeah. School in Washington. Yeah. I was actually the first African-American male to graduate from that school. Yeah. So I, I, I know the ethos of, of not feeling not feeling color. And he's, a, of course, I say to people, I don't see color. That's not right. I absolutely do see color. I just think it doesn't matter. Um, so Obama was a person who wanted to get to a place where we talk about issues rather than personalities. Mm. Um, but the way that he was, his color, his, the fact that he was a black man um, incited so many people to um, a kind of hostility that was, it was shocking. Um, it was really shocking. Trump's whole political career is built off the lie, the initial lie that uh, Barack Obama was somehow not American, that he was born in Kenya or something like that. This is how he made his bones. And I would listen to him on conservative talk radio, telling the same types of lies with the same type of language and cadence that he does now. You're not going to believe what we're finding out there about a Barack Obama, okay? No one's ever seen the type of things we've seen before. The guy has a vocabulary of about 77 words, okay? And he uses them <laughs> over and over again. It's, it's Honestly, I know minor birds that have more vocabulary. Tremendous. <laughs> it's big. It's phenomenal. It's tremendous. Yeah, right. So it's tremendous. Big. You know, no one's ever seen it before. The likes of which we've never seen before. Greatest. The greatest. Okay? Yep. Strongly. Bigly. Going back to Biden, Joe Biden is a career public servant yeah. and also a person who's lived his... Um, his personal sorrows and tragedies in the public eye. Um, the loss of his, um, of his family in a car accident at the age of 29 when he had just become uh, a senator. Um, he is, what you see is what you get with Joe Biden. And in another time, I think he would be a president who could be a lot like, uh, um, a lot like Lyndon Johnson was, who could enable a lot of things. He has a lot of ideas, a lot of great ideas about how to merge ideas, take what's good from both sides ideas and turn them into actual policy. Mm. Unfortunately, the way the government works is it, without cooperation between the parties and between the, the two houses of Congress, you just don't get anywhere unless by executive fiat. So my fear is though, he, his heart is in the right place. And I think that his policies are in the right place. I feel that he may end up having to rule by executive order, just like the last two presidents, uh, because that's just where the politics are now. It's, it's so much rests outside of his ideas and his abilities for him to actually get things done. Is he the guy? Yes. Will he be allowed, allowed to be the guy? I'm not sure. Do you think he's too old? No, no, I don't, I don't think he's too old. I think, um, you know, it would be nice to be able to identify that next generation of, of American leadership.
this may be a case where it's just taken Joe Biden this long to be ready. This is the third time that he's run for president. And um, I, I got to be honest, at the, at the beginning of the 2008 cycle, he was my guy before Barack Obama. Um, I had met Barack Obama one time in Chicago, um, just after he had run for um, U.S. Congress and got his clock cleaned by uh, a guy there. Um, he lost that election. And I thought, okay, that guy's not ready, you know? And I was kind of surprised when he won the Senate race, but you know, he did. Uh, Joe Biden has taken this time and taken the lumps and it, he, he's ready. I think he's just old enough, you know, in mind and body and in spirit. I think he's ready. I don't think he's too old, I think he's ready. He's right. It's just ridiculous how things are going on over there. Like I compare it to Australian politics and I just think to myself, Gosh, things are just so different there. I think the question that I want to ask is, you said that um, Trump brings out like the bigot characteristics within an individual. 74 million people can't be bigots in America. Like why has 74 million people voted for Trump? Like I'm from, I don't see what he's done good or I don't think Sonia and Sasha can say it, but like, he must have done something that appealed to 74 million Americans. Right. Um, one, don't be so sure about 74 million people not being able to be victims. Really it may be possible. No. <laughs> they won't answer yes to the poll. Um, but I, I'm not going to name call people and say, and, and I do agree with you. I, I'm just sort of playing devil advocate there. Um, yes, you're right. It wasn't that everybody that thinks that... Um, we're voting on those particular social issues, racial issues. Um, President Trump, and you know, I don't think he's a good guy. I disagree with a lot of what he says, but hey, he wants to keep my taxes low. Mm. Okay? And to so many Americans, that is issue number one, two, three, four, and five, mm. keep my taxes low. Because there's been so many different kind of people that have voted for Trump. Like it's not that one standard what you think that that you know, that white 45-year-old male that, you know, works in the suburbs, that he's the only person that's voting for it. There's been lots of people from all over the place. Um, again, in what Marcus was saying, there's such a, a wide section of people, not just that stereotypical kind. I mean, again, the Republican Party, you know, existed before Trump. And so you have people, you have people who are dedicated Republicans who, you know, you could basically stand a broom with a bucket on top of it. And they'd say, well, if it's Republican, I'm voting for it. And that's that's just the way they feel. Um, so there's that group of people. Um, but I don't think those people are Republican based, but those aren't Trump's base. And we've spent a lot of the last four years not talking about the Republican base, but talking about Trump's base. And those are the people, again, who um, who you saw in Charlottesville, Virginia, marching with Tiki, tiki torches. Um, 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 threatening people, driving into crowds, talking to Jews and saying, you will not replace us. Um, these are things like the Proud Boys who are, who are getting guns and pointing them at people and, and going to officials' offices. These are the people who are going to uh, election officials and saying, well, this election is going to be overturned or I'm willing to give my life for this. That's not a Republican base. That's a Trump base. And Let's, let's give a, another number too. If you talk about the 74 million and you had uh, another 80 million who voted for, uh, for Joe Biden. Well, that still leaves about 35% of the country of eligible voters who did not vote, okay? We're celebrating 65% or so, like hooray, that's a big, 
uh, or 67, maybe it was, that we're celebrating as if that's a big accomplishment. It is not in the country that is supposed to be the domicile, the beacon for democracy on this planet to have two thirds participation be the high watermark is an embarrassment. And I actually think that it may be the undecided third of America that states it. You know, what, what would make those people in this highly charged atmosphere, I, I, that's the book I'd like to write over the course of the next year. Who didn't vote and why? How could you be neutral on this? How could you stay out of a ballot box with the, the politics more on fire than they've ever been? And to get those people participating and participating in a way that takes the country forward rather than backward may be the thing that saves it, quite possibly. Have you been able to speak to some people that haven't voted to be able to see what their <coughs> psyche is all about? How they're thinking? Not directly. No, I actually no. I don't, I, I don't know anybody who didn't vote. And I think that's why I need to go on sabbatical and get in some sort of like truck or something and and just driving around five come to me (laughs) right maybe i need to like pay five dollars per interview with a with a non-voter i i i am fascinated because i personally don't know anyone within my orbit who didn't vote or and who didn't do it passionately by the way Mm -hmm. um so to to find out that 35 percent um what what are their issues what would motivate you because so many people have seen this as a life and death, you know, an existential type of election. Um, I, I, I am dying to find out. And again, that's a huge number of people. If you get 10% of those people to fall in the right way, one way or the other, that determines the future of this country mm-hmm. or, or, the, or but your rights it's ended. Michael, you said you don't know anybody. We don't know anybody. So if we can just find one person that didn't vote and couldn't be bothered, I think we'll just put our whole uh, thesis on that person. I mean, the, the, there was talk about the undecideds in this election. I, 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 People lined up so for it, hours to vote. I said before, I think I said this on the project, that it's a testament to, I guess, the the absolute catastrophe that the Trump presidency is that people would line up for hours to vote for Joe Biden. You know, he, he's just, he's not a guy typically who inspires that type of passion. I'm not saying anything negative about Joe Biden, <laughs> but nobody lines up, you know, to, you know. In <laughs> the middle Biden. of a pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. It's a, yeah. It's fascinating mm-hmm. to us because over here, no one is on the streets with pom-poms going, ScoMo, ScoMo, you know, no <laughs> one know. does that here. Like no, you know, our, pres- our right. prime minister could walk down the street and people would be like, hey, Mr. Morris, nobody would even notice him. So you'd kind of look and you go, I've seen that guy before. Where do I know him from? Like, is he from the project? Like, you know what I mean? The whole thing has actually been crazy. Don't you all agree? We've we've been Mm. watching from over here and just, I don't know whether our media is skewed one particular way, but we tend to pick up on the stuff that is funny a lot of the time in our media, you know, and particularly you would know with the project, they like to take the mickey out of, you know, lots of of the the situations. But we, we have seen you know grab them by the whatever and then we've and we've had you know the interviews of the people at the Trump rallies where you know there was one particular one that stood out to me there was a guy who was wearing a a Hillary Clinton t-shirt and it had ditch the bitch on the back of it with this Mm. you know uh, whatever whatever what was it the name that he called her Hillary 
Oh, Crooked oh. Hillary. Crooked yeah. Hillary, right. Yeah. Crooked Hillary on the thing. And the interviewer actually said to the man, so it's, um, what do you think about Trump? Do you think Trump respects women? And he said, oh, yeah, absolutely, totally respects women. I mean, this guy's standing there with a Crooked Hillary and then ditched the T-shirt on the back. Do you think I saw he respects that women? Yeah, yeah, totally respect. It's really important to respect women, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, very important to respect women. What's on your T-shirt? Oh, this is, it turns around, ditch the bitches on the back. And to us, the, the, it's it's crazy what's going on. And then we hear Trump speak, and everything's phenomenal and great, and this and that. He's like, you you know, I'm I'm denouncing the science on climate change, you know. But this is science, sir. Well, I think I know better. You know, it it doesn't. None of this makes sense to us that this man could have been in power for this long. Please tell us that Biden is is is, is he's better. Gonna save us. He's going to save us. And you know what? The Proud Boys thing as well. We were blown away by that. That was a very clear statement that even the Aussies over here, you know, knew what that stood for and what that meant. Please tell us it will be better. Yeah. Well, I think that um, there's certainly a chance for it to be better. We'll have better leadership, but um, you know, I guess you know the shepherd's different, but you still got the same sheep. So I, I'm not sure exactly how, how, how we evolve from that. Look, um, you know, the, Donald Trump is always the victim, never the victor. You know, again, with this whole thing about the election, let's take for example. So the idea that Democrats somehow manipulated elections in 50 independent states, um, 400 some different counties and jurisdictions and managed to flip votes, move printed votes around, all of these things, and he at the top of government with, uh, and also with Republicans at the head of, I believe, 28 different states, the idea that Republicans could be running the show, literally running the show in this country, and somehow have an election be available for fraud, number one. Number two, that if it was available for fraud, that they would not be, that they would be either totally vulnerable to it or not participating in such a scheme, is preposterous. It's ridiculous. But he has told people, no, you are a victim of a scam. I'm a victim. He was said in his last rally, we're all victims here. We're all victims here. And when you're a victim, rules don't count. That's what those people are afraid of. When you're a victim, I can, I, you know, I get a pass because I'm a victim. I'm being victimized. I mean, good luck by the Democrats, by, by political correctness, by uh, globalism, by George Soros. And then it gets more evil when it says, by the black people, by the Jew, you know, when you get into the room and get it even deeper, they're <laughs> victimizing us and we got to do something about it. No matter what it takes, we have to stick together. That's where that comes from. It's, um, it's, a, it's that type of herd mentality that is so base um, without intellect. And um, we as Americans have really fallen victim to our disregard for intellect. Everything is about the image and almost nothing is about the intellect and, and um, maturity. Um, there's, a, there's a sense of an erosion of values that has caught up with us as a nation, maybe as a planet, but um, certainly the U.S., it's, it's much more apparent in, in my view. I, I, you know, you guys get entertained by us nightly, so I guess you would probably you know, feel the same way. Do you think that um, the pandemic really changed things around the election, like having them both in the same year? What do you, I mean, do you think that that was just fuel to the fire and adding it to just be bigger and bigger? What was your opinion on that? Well, yeah, and you're missing one thing too, which is the George Floyd murder, which, um, which is a, another thing, which you have, look, 
the, the Trump presidency was the easiest presidency, the easiest four years for a president that I have ever seen in my lifetime. It was bloody easy. Every issue that he had, every difficult issue that he had, every wound was completely self-inflicted. Okay. Um, when you think about the thing with Ukraine, you think about the thing with Charlottesville, you think about almost every single issue that he had, they're all self-inflicted. I thought he was going to motor through this and basically win again on the strength of the stock market uh, uh, level, which really affects hardly anyone in this country, but that's another show. This, this COVID thing, that's not our fault. That's the Chinese fault. They're, they did it. It's the China virus. And now it's impinging on your freedom to have a put on a mask. In a... It's almost, uh, uh, I don't know, it's so hard to believe that a grown man would take an issue like this where it's life and death and try to turn it into some sort of grotesque um, political farce in the way that he does. And even more unbelievable is that there's this large number of people that would fall for it. And some people are literally falling for it, giving their lives. It, it's, it's, it's preposterous, but again, I, it, this president has exposed America. He certainly, COVID exposed him yeah. as an incompetent manager, as an incompetent politician, an incompetent person to have at the head of government. And not only him, virtually everyone who he would trust or put into places of responsibility are equally incompetent, um, not worthy of trust, and again, hypocrites. Um, it just exposed him. And um, uh, he, 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 I'm glad that it did. I'm glad that something happened. I'm, I, don't, please don't take that to mean I'm glad that COVID happened. But something had to expose this guy for, for who and what he is. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, just enough people got it to get him elected, to get him voted out of office, rather. And also exposed just the complete lack of human decency, the lack of empathy for for the number of people who've lost their lives yeah. and who've been fighting the virus. You know, I mean, that's just when it comes. I don't know a great deal. I don't think a lot of Australians know a great deal, Marcus, with probably the exception here, but know a great deal about the system and how American politics works. What we look at when we're looking at world leaders, uh, people who can inspire, who understand, who show empathy, who can unite. And he's done exactly none of that. And it was just so interesting for us to watch it, you know, how that all played out. Really hope yeah. that Biden and Harris do a much better job. It's probably pretty easy to do a better job than, <laughs> than he's done so far in my basic knowledge. <laughs> I, I would think so. I mean, by by all measurable standards, you would think so. But for those who, again, are looking for lower taxes, who are looking for, oh, let's put the uh, let's put the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem, who are looking for the, sort of the financial and the symbolic. Um, yeah. These are the things that the, where if you would point to any air quote success for the Trump administration, that's where you're going to find them. Yeah. Um, but, um, but for anything that has to do with the things that you find in either the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence? Um, no, it's been an abject failure. And I think any number of people, I think anyone on this call today could probably be a better president. And I mean that because Ooh. you would just try, you would try. And he, he didn't, he's not even trying.
We could do it together, Sasha. Sonia and Sasha, 2024. What do you think? Let's run. Let's do it. Let's go. I've got nothing else to do. Thank you so much for being with us today, Michael. That's an amazing insight into what's going on over there. And we, we appreciate we appreciate how you just break it down into the, the easiest terms for all of us to understand and, you know, in such a cool way. So we appreciate your time with us today. Thank you so much, Marcus Napolitano. And Sash, we will see you. We will see you after the break. You're listening to Brimbank Live on Live FM. This is the Sonia and Sasha for Real Show. This is the Sonia and Sasha for Real Show. It's our final show. It's our favourite day. We, we're so sad that this is the, actually the end of what's been an amazing few months, isn't it, mm, Sasha? It's been incredible. And you know what the best part is? Firstly, I've got to work with you, but it's been really easy. There's yeah. no being like all the challenges that we've had to face and doing stuff through Zoom and learning different technology. It's been fun and easy and I've loved every moment of it. And I'm yeah. so glad that I got to do it with you. Yeah, I know. It's it's like it's our favourite thing in the world to do. I think it saved us this show. Oh, Actually, 100%. Through the, through the pandemic, we, it was something for us to look forward to and something for us to get involved in. And how great was Michael Williams? That interview that we did with him was just in, what, what a fascinating insight into American politics and, mm. you know, from a guy who's just super cool and has total Obama vibes, like we can't wait for you to meet him, DJ Big Brooklyn from, uh, 4040 in New York yeah. City. Brooklyn's in the house. Is that what we say? Hey. Yeah. <laughs> we need to get back there and, like, you know, put your vibes on and we get back to dancing and stuff. But it's going to be a long yeah. time before we do that. But luckily, we get to have a little piece of you right here and you get to come on our show. You've been one of our favorite guests. Like, everyone's loved guest. you. Our first, our first guest. guest and our final guest. Like, you're almost like a little round circle, like, wrapped us really? up in a bow package. That's yeah. it. <laughs> once, once you're in the Sonia and Sasha for real family, you can't get out. That's the rules. You realize that. It's like yeah. Charlie in the Chocolate well, Factory. Nobody <laughs> ever goes in, nobody ever goes out. Oh, I have the tattoo already. Ah, perfect, perfect, perfect. So we've been thinking about you a lot because we've seen that it's crazy over there right now and then now it's snowing on top of all of that and we just think, you know, we're so used to seeing you on the in the booth doing your thing at the at the club and, and what's going on with hospitality and clubs and, you know, what's going on with that part of your life right now? Uh, well, it is... Uh pretty much on hold yeah um that's 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 basically how 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 that's the only way i could describe it it's it's a it's a holding pattern right now um i am not as comfortable you know still going to parties etc i i see people I, I have friends who you know they're still doing it but uh you know this this thing this thing has touched my life personally so I'm not, I'm not inclined to, uh, I'm not inclined to go to these parties, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the club, the club has been open for, for dinner and, you know, watching games because ultimately, you know, it is, it, it is a sports bar, a, a upscale sports bar. That's how I've always described it. Um, so, you know, sports is still happening. So people do, you know, show up to, to watch it you, you know the food is great so they do that mm -hmm. but as far as the uh the party aspect that's still on hold and for now that that the, even the eating and everything has been scaled back a little bit because we have you know we're under a second lockdown third lockdown I, i've lost count at this point mm -hmm. so uh the indoor dining is not going to be a thing for a while 
because uh, we had, you know, our numbers spiked again. So, um, like I said, right now everything's in a hole. Uh, uh, it's in a hole, but I'm not. I'm not looking at it as a negative. I'm looking at it as okay. Well, you know, now arrange arrange your music and you know get more practice time. Um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. Do more research. Learn learn more about the equipment that I use. Stuff like that. So I'm. You know, spend spend more time with with uh you know the family that I don't normally because you know I'm I'm out out, out of the house you know every weekend, so there there's that. <laughs> well, that's there's, a there's that attitude. That's a really nice way of looking at it. Good perspective. But you're always like that, Brooklyn. You're so you've got such a great view world. You're realistic, but you've got a great positive view of the world. So you have agreed. Now, this could be scary. So see how we go on this section here. Yeah, let's see how this goes. DJ Big Brooklyn from uh, New York City has agreed to interview Sonia and Sasha on the Sonia and Sasha For Real show, Brim Bank Live on Live FM. We don't have much time, so fast games are good games. So we need to get these answers out very, very quickly. Did you say fast games are good games? Fast games are good games. Let's go. All right. What do you think? Well, so you you guys have t- touched on it. So um, I would ask uh, during during this time, like, has do you feel there's been a, a a highlight, a positive highlight, and or negative highlight of these these last what nine months or so? Positive highlight would have to Pers- be getting personal, this show per- personally and together. Oh, um, well, personally. Uh, look, honestly, doing this radio show, and and I actually am quite proud of myself that you know our businesses fell apart, and we kind of reinvented ourselves and scaled on this whole new online world, and st- and so I'm a little bit proud because I hate technology in that sense. I hate having to learn stuff, so I'm a little bit proud of that. Mm. Per- I'd say that's awesome. a little bit personal, and it's also a little bit professional as well. And then we got to do this show, which just been so easy and good. What mm. about you, Sonia? Oh, that's 100% was the, like I said before, this saved our lives. And I'm, I'm not joking that if we were to do the negative side of 2020, we'd be, we'd need another show, but we, and no one would listen because who cares, <laughs> yeah. right? But, um, but yeah, I think that, um, I think the fact that we've still been able to make each other laugh through this whole mm. thing, like we've just st- stuck together. And, you know, Sash, you and I, we've survived a lot together and now we can put global pandemic on the resume, on the PowerPoint, you know, as, a, as another <laughs> thing that we've been able to thaw yeah. through. And we nearly lost it. We nearly lost it. It's the closest we've ever come to a breakdown, I reckon. Well, because we Sonia, Sonia and I never get down on something at the same time. Yes. And so normally if one's like, if something's happened in our business and one gets affected and the other one goes, no, 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 we'll be able to survive, we kind of pull each other up. But there were some times there where we went walking where both of us would take turn on who was crying. Like, do you want to cry first oh. or should I cry first? Because I'm not coping oh, very well. You know, that was that was probably the only time that ever, yeah. like, we'd both, we'd both get out to walking and it'd be like, how are you? Ah, how are you? Ah, you know? I know, I know, I know you two to be very, very free spirited. So I, I imagine, you know, the idea of not being able to go somewhere you know, is, is, is probably as, as emotionally and mentally draining as it is, you know, the physical idea that you can't, you can't actually go there. Yeah. Yeah. And I I was, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about, um, you know, losing the business and rebuilding. You kind of touched on that. Mm. Um, since we don't have a lot of time, Mm. um, do you, do you feel like you've learned anything specific from, from Sonia and Sasha for real radio show? 
Uh, I've learned that we we already knew that we had something going on, but I think that this has nailed it that we really have something going on because you know we've been able to work with all these people and they've pushed us to be better and i've loved that they've pushed us to do further and um get better guests and do all of those things and to be really vulnerable and not be scared to say this is how i'm actually feeling mm. so i guess that that and, and sonia and i we, we did this little thing where sonia came up with a diagnosis of our um mental illness that we experienced during a pandemic and what's that what what have we got sonia what, what's that thing that we've got it's called imposter syndrome imposter syndrome and that's yeah. where you can have this incredible resume of all this stuff that you've done but in your mind you think you have actually not achieved anything and you're not playing around you're not mucking around like you literally go ah oh, that can't really matter like I, there was a time when um, I actually thought to myself, I might have to get a job. And I literally remember sitting there thinking, who's going to employ me? Like, what skills do I have? i got nothing. I can talk. Um, I, I'm, I'm jobless and I'm never going to get be able to get, who's going to give me a job? Yeah. And so maybe, Sonia, maybe. We might be onto something. We might be onto something. That's all I can <laughs> Maybe I might not be that unemployable. I don't know. I don't know. But in my mind, I still think to myself, who would give me a job anyway? Do you know what I want to just say? I just I'm so grateful for um for Ralph from from making yeah. media from Live FM for giving us the opportunity for saying yeah he's a couple of uh, 23 and a half year olds from this burbs and we're <laughs> going to give the the two chicks a go, and uh, you know it was basically we, we hadn't actually met physically until last week so we've done 11 weeks of shows or 12 weeks wow. of shows all over Zoom and you know he literally saw through the computer screen something in us and said all right we'll give these two chicks a go and and now we're talking about taking over the world together so it's just it's it's been that's been the absolute highlight i've got to say we have to give a shout out to the uh to the families for you know everybody who's been around us for holding us down at at some point in an or other Mm. and um and our and our teachers who've just been doing an incredible job with all of our children so i think yeah you know, we've got to say thank that's, you. That's, thank you. Gratitude um, has been that massive. That sounds awesome. So I feel I feel like you're you're saying uh, uh, as as a whole, the the whole COVID twenty twenty thing has been a bittersweet. You know, you you, you lost a little, you you, you gained a lot. Yes, one hundred percent. That's that's beautiful. That's that's yeah. like the whole what Phoenix out of the ashes. There's a lot of. Oh, we're coming back, baby. You know what I'm saying? 2021. No one's brave enough to say it. I'm saying it. 2021 is going to be a massive year. You watch. You oh, watch. It is. It is. And we're so wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, you might. Exciting. You, you might be jumping the gun because I was actually going to ask what actually what does Sonia and Sasha know for real? Like, what, what do, do you know? <laughs> so apparently, you know, 2021 is going to be awesome. Oh, I know that for real because we'll make it like that. We're already putting, we've got plans. We've got plans in motion, baby. We're thinking about it right now. We're cooking it up. Um, what I know for real is that I have the most incredible friend in, in the world and we've been through some stuff and, and you know, and you, you can't take us down. We're strong. We're, we have something exceptional, I think. Our friendship, our relationship, we've worked together for 20 years, even though we're 23 and a half. I don't know how that happened, but <laughs> we've been working together for a long time. And, you know, we've been through a great deal together and we keep getting stronger and stronger and a deeper and deeper connection. And so that's what I know for real. I'm so happy and grateful to have you in my life, Sash, and all the beautiful people that we've gathered around us and all of the guests and the incredible team that we have putting this thing together, including you, Brother Brooklyn. 
you've hey. been there from the beginning with us as well. So yeah, that's what I know for real. Well, yeah, I've been a fan since the first time Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for listening to us. Mm. No, thank absolutely. It's a, it's a pleasure. Do you know, Sonia, you stole my, um, you stole my for real because I, I ditto that 100% and I'm so grateful for Ralph. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for everything that you've listened to me and I've gone on and on and on, you know, a lot. Right? I'm so grateful for all of that. Yeah. But one of the things that I'm not only just grateful for but what I've learned for real is that we have been a part of entertaining other people through a pandemic and I didn't actually, it's kind of like the whole time, it's always been about the listeners. It's always about giving them back, whether it's finding a really cool guest, getting a really good story, um, teaching something to our listeners. And so the gratitude, like, you know, the fact that we're in each other's lives, but all of these random people that we don't know actually listen to us talk crap. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and they've been mostly enjoying it, we think. Yeah, yeah we think. <laughs> and we want to be able to teach them more and to be able to see a different perspective. Like there's been some incredible guests that have taught us things that we didn't even know. Like, you know, when we had someone from um, that organisation Holt and um, we learnt all about tradespeople and how much they suffer from depression. And then when we learnt about hepatitis, like mm -hmm. I didn't even know how bad hepatitis was around mm -hmm. young people. And just little things like that. Like if we've just stopped one person from, you know, going out to a party and getting a tattoo and then giving somebody else the same needle and giving them the tattoo, we've just done a, we've done a year. Like, you know, if we've stopped mm -hmm. one person from getting something like that or one tradie reaching out and doing something or you know, in any, or one person to actually see I'm stuck in my own crap. So yeah. I'm going to go out and do something kind for somebody else. If one person has changed that, then we have had an awesome year. Yeah, totally agree That's with it. that. Cute totally music. Agree. Yeah. <laughs> totally agree. And you know what? That is the end of our show, you guys. Thank you so much for being with us, uh, DJ Big Brooklyn. We love you. Love brother. you. Love you. Um, we My pleasure. All the very best. And thank you for bringing your, um, your talent to our, little show here in Australia and thank you Ralph. You coming back next year? Coming Absolutely. Back next year? All right. Yeah. Don't leave us. He's Ralph is awesome by the way. What's up Ralph? The show. <laughs> yeah. So Ralph from Making Media who is our boss and puts it all together and he trusted us. Why would you do that? But he did and he <laughs> <laughs> and he's an absolute legend we love you and thank you to all of our beautiful guests who've been on the show this year and we will be back and to our audience thank you to our audience 2021 yes stay tuned after the after this for the ursula carlson one hour special can you believe see this is what we're talking about these incredible guests that said yes to us mm. um merry christmas stay safe stay happy and we will see you in 2021 sonia and sasha for real show out for 2020. Mic drop. You're listening to Bring Back Live on Live FM. This is the Sonia and Sasha for Real Show. We have such an amazing guest today. And how do we get our guest, Sasha? We stalk them. Actually, we don't even stalk them. We just bump into them at the airport because we <laughs> hang out at airports. And then we hope to God that they're going to remember us. Probably won't, but we stalk them and then get them through there. Right. So just a second. I have to do the proper intro here because you can do a it's, proper intro. It's, it's really We've done some research. We've done I, some I've, research. I have Googled a bit. Right. Are you you okay. know her as the person who makes us ugly belly laugh on shows like Have You Been Have You Been Paying Attention? Uh Husey, we have a problem. The mask singer. What else have we got, Sonia? 
she's frozen, so therefore I'm going to keep doing the reading of that. She calls herself a lesbitarian, which that is the coolest way ever to call yourself. Let's find We've got out. to find out what that is. She's a mama. Her social media goes off. She's an author of an autobiography called Rolling with the Punchlines. She's won too many awards to mention in an intro. She has her own Netflix special called Overqualified Loser. She is anything but a loser. Let's all say hello, you fibulous and fantastic to Ursula Carlson. Hello. She's what a builder. <gasps> and <laughs> I was like, who, who, who have you got? That's interesting. Who's doing that? That's you, girlfriend. You did all of that stuff. Can you believe it? Yeah, no, I can't. I, you know what? On my Facebook memories that came up this week, that 10 years ago this week, I quit my job, hashtag the financial, uh, global financial crisis hit, and I lost my job. Oh. And I've been going flat out at comedy ever since. And it just doesn't feel like 10 years. It feels like a couple of weeks ago, you know, I made the call and here we are today. That kind of thing, yeah. you know. And so is that what happened? Is that what made you jump into comedy or had you been thinking about it? Because you actually started like when you were in your early 30s. Yeah. No, I honestly, it never even came up. Comedy never crossed my mind. I used to work for Ogilvy as a designer and a photo retoucher. And then the guy that sat across from me, Leon Fisk, who um, he's a pom and he used to go, you have to go do comedy. You're so funny. You're so funny. And I'm like, no, thanks. I'd never even been to a stand-up comedy show in my life. I had no idea what he was talking about. But then I went over to a different agency and he um, made up this fake contract for me to go to an open mic night, but he'd already booked everything in. Uh, And I'd only been in New Zealand for a couple of years. So I felt like I have to go because I want to look like I'm a good sport, you know, and, kind of you know and because everyone's already like yeah do it and I had like four beers in me so I signed this contract and then on the Monday night I went and 70 of my colleagues came and I, I wrote this it was on St Patrick's Day and I just wrote like four minutes with because it's a five minute spot so I wrote four minutes worth of jokes and I practiced mm-hmm. it in my car and then I thought I'll only write four minutes. I'll give the audience a minute of laughter, you know. <laughs> <How arrogant. laughs> That's awesome. Um, but then, yeah, I just went and I did it. Scariest thing I'd ever done. And then the Monday or the next day, I got a call to say that I'm through to the quarterfinals, which is on the next Monday. Because no they had this competition that we had no idea about because none of us knew anything about comedy. During the comedy festival raw quest where they look for new talent and they go, you're through to the next round. I'm like, no thanks. I said, I'm already nailing life. I've got a great job and you know, I'm not interested in comedy. It was a work do. Yeah, wow. Because that's kind of how I saw it. It was just like, you know, if we all go bowling together or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, the, but you're going to get up on stage and try and make people laugh and give them. Yeah. Do you remember some of the things that you said on that during that yeah. four minutes? Oh yeah, my I remember God. my opening joke because I completely went blank as soon as I walked out. I was so nervous because when I approached the microphone, I realised I've never spoken into a microphone. I don't even know oh, no how it way. works. Like, you know, I just went, yeah, let's do it. But I had no clue. So when I got to, like, I could literally, I could hear my heart beating and I was scared mm-hmm. the audience would hear it too. I could hear the blood rushing through my brain. Like it was just insane. I've never felt like that before. Yeah. And then um, I just looked out at the the audience and they were all dressed in green because they were there for like a St. Patrick's party. And 
Oh. Well, they were all kicking off after the show to go to St. Patrick's Do's and I just, I couldn't remember what I wrote. So I just said uh, to the lady sitting right in front of me, I love green, but I can't wear it because I look like Shrek. And then they were laughing, but I was legitimately saying it. <laughs> and then the audience started laughing and I just kind of looked up and then I went, and one woman went, oh, and I said, oh no, I'm not like, I'm not down on myself. I'm just, I, I know um you know i'm realistic and i know that anorexia is not going to be the disease to take me one day <laughs> i was only having a conversation with them i'd still not started with the jokes that i had written no way and then um i and then they were laughing again and then i just said i don't want to go too much into it, but as a child i got cut out of a hula hoop and then they were laughing. <laughs> I, it sort of came back to me and then i was all like you know oh, this is great and I finished, but I honestly can't remember anything after that. I couldn't remember if they were laughing or anything after that. So when I walked those stage, we were like, that was great. I go, I do not care. Just want to have a beer yeah. and hang out with Leon and my mates from work. And that's what I did. And then, yeah, just kind of the, the comedy club kept hounding me to come back. And I did. And then I won Best Newcomer. Oh, and so yeah. where did you, um, do you still hang out with any of those work people? Yeah. Do yeah, they you know, always talk about that first time? But um, the rest of them are all still here. I still catch up with them. Actually, I had a chat to two of them this morning. But yeah, um, no, I still hang out with them. And do they always say, do you remember that first time that we had no idea what this path was going to lead to? Yeah. And, and also, like some of them, because um, a couple of years ago, I went back to Ogilvy and I tanked for them for two weeks as a studio manager because my friend who's studio manager her mum passed away suddenly in Australia and then she went back to Australia and she phoned me she goes look I know you don't do this kind of thing but can you come back and just come help out because you know we have no one to run the studio and I went yeah I'll come back <laughs> and it was great I just worked there for two weeks as studio manager <laughs> awesome that is so awesome yeah. and so that moment when you got off stage and you had the beer and you're like chilling out it's it's like isn't it like you lining up for the scariest ride in the amusement park and you're petrified and then you get on and it's so awesome that you go I can't wait to get back on again was that how you felt or no <laughs> not at all <laughs> no when I was done I'm like I have done it I am finished gonna, it's like when you talk to those first time mums the first week she goes that is it not doing that again <laughs> Yeah, you um, <laughs> would sign up for this crap again. Yeah, oh, you yeah. know what it did to the entertainment area. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, no, I didn't want to do it again. I just thought, you know, it's like something you do, and I did it. And tick, you know, I've sort of ticked yeah. it on the bucket list. It was never on the bucket list, but if it made it on now, I could say, Well, I've done it. Yeah. Um, it was only after my second time because when the owner of the club said to me I should come back and do it because I, I honestly didn't want to it was frightening my leg wouldn't stop shaking you yeah. know like when you have a nervous it just yeah, yeah. my leg kept shaking the whole yeah. time for yeah. five minutes I couldn't stop it <laughs> I was aware of it but I could like that part of my body was removed from my mouth so Honestly, I had no yeah yeah chance um but then he said to me just come back and just give it another go and I did I went back did it again um, and then I didn't take anyone. I didn't even tell Leon that I was going back for the oh, second because no. I wanted to make sure, because he said it was really funny. And I said to him, well, the audience was loaded in my favor. I knew 70 people in your audience. 
right. So then, yeah, I I went back. I did it again with a new five minutes, and they were still laughing. And then after that, when I walked off, I was like, "This is amazing," because then the thrill hit me. You know, you, then, you became addicted. Yeah, it was like oh, I have to go back. And then for the next ten months, I just sucked. But <laughs> I still loved it. And so did you think that that was going to be like that all the time, that you would always get all of these laughs and it would just be perfect? Yeah. What was was it like the first time that you did it and nothing came back? Um, I didn't know what was wrong with the audience. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, "Um, guys, I'm fucking, this is you. It's not me, it's you. But then I think because when you just start, you know, like I didn't know what I was like on stage or is there, you know, and you then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, comedy, what can I, what do I know about comedy? And I started reading stuff and looking up, um, you know, other stand-up comics and go, okay, okay, that's how you do it. Instead of just being myself. And it's amazing. The audience has this um, collective bullshit-tometer yeah. where they can pick up if you're full of shit and they're just like nah we're not into this one next mm-hmm. and they'll just wait you out especially in New Zealand Australia they tell you to get off but they'll <laughs> just wait you out and be very polite and quiet very quiet but just wait for you to finish whatever you have to do and then get off so um it took me a while like the first year I was like I don't understand and then I just sort of re- recalibrated and went back and went, you know what, I'm just going to do it like that very first joke where it is just a conversation between me and them. Mm. Like I'm at a barbecue at my house, but no one gets a speaking part, which is basically a barbecue. At my- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so good. And that's exactly what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. With us, it's just, it's really chilled and, you know, um, there's no, it, it's not contrived at all. It just feels like it's your thoughts that are coming out and that we're just chatting. I think that's why we love, everyone loves you so much like that, you yeah. know, it happens like that. That's why I get hugged a lot in the mall. Yeah. Oh, do you? Yeah. I people come I up to me all the Even during COVID, I was walking with my kids to the park every day and people would come up and just go, oh, give us a hug. And I'm like, mm, kind of mm. have this thing that's killing everyone, but... Okay. <laughs> I think that I hugged you at the airport and I'm really sorry, but because you kept us so entertained during lockdown, yeah. so entertained, like your yeah. stuff that you're putting out about your kids was exactly the stuff that we were thinking about Indeed. and you were not scared to say it. Yeah. Well, I just thought, you know, we all collectively going through the same and I was always surprised when people go, I love that you didn't brush your hair in this clip, or I love that you didn't put makeup on. I'm like, yeah, Bush, we're locked down. Where am I going? <laughs> like, I have got makeup on because I've got stuff to do all around the house because I've got a head cold, so I have to isolate again. Aww. But I, I just do, you know, like we're all the same. Like we're all going through the shared experience, and that's what comedy is. We're just holding up a mirror to yeah. the rest of the world and go, we are all in the same boat. Mm. You know, and I think that's why during lockdown, um, when these, you know, American celebrities were putting their houses and you can see the grass tennis court in the background and they're in the pool and they're talking about how tough they're doing. People are like, you need to, you need to step up, (laughs) you know, like don't show us this stuff. We know you're doing it tough too, but you know, there's some people in an apartment who can't walk, you Mm. know, can't go around the block even. 
so yeah it was kind of tough you know the the one and I think I messaged you straight after this was and I sent it straight to Sash was you put your head into the trampoline this is like this is what you do when you want to go on the trampoline stuck your head in the for those of you people are listening to us put your head in the trampoline and then you take your head back out again you zip it up and you have a glass of wine you tell the kids to go away That just spoke to every mum, I think, who was in a situation. I don't want to bounce with you. There's a freaking pandemic going on right now. Everything sucks. Go bounce yourself. And the thing that I kept saying to my kids, and I still do, when they go, come do this or come bounce on the tram, like I'm outside there and I'm playing with them and I'm throwing balls at them on the tram. And then they always escalate it. They always want more, 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 you know, it's yeah, like yeah. more crack and they can't get enough of you. And the more you play with them, the more they want it. And because I am the playful mum, I am the one that's crawling through the mud. I am the one that's, you know, trying to swing. I'm that mum. So, but they always want more. And then I have to keep saying to my kids, I go, hey, you know that little boy that lives in this house with us? You mean my brother? Yeah. I made him so he can play with you. <laughs> you go bounce with him. You know, like, <laughs> so like, I don't want to crawl under the couch and, and make a little fort under there, you know, because the couch is now on my back. You're just lying under the couch. I'm carrying the couch. <laughs> We've been making forts. I think everybody's been making forts out of control. And the point is, is they want to keep these forts overnight. Whereas I'm like, let's pack it up. Let's clean it up. Move on. I can't say. The one that I loved was when you were talking about your kids, how, you know, you were what you were learning about them. And you were learning, you were like, I think they're dumb and they're not, you know, and they're, and that was exactly, like I would say to Sonia, you know, Sonia and I would go for walks and I'd say, I think my kids have got special needs. They've got special needs. How can they not get this crap? You know, like they're not smart. And then next thing I'm looking and you're saying the exact same thing or you're like, I'm getting to know them and I don't know if I like them very much. You know? <laughs> the one keeps pissing in the lounge. I'm like, what? <laughs> Why have we not nailed showing them the toilet? Is it us or is it them? Like, <laughs> what's going on? You know, I, I have to say, because I travel a lot, and during this lockdown, I spent more time with them than I realistically ever would have had it not been for a pandemic. Yeah. Um, but then on the flip side now that the borders are still closed, I've met a lot of the school mums and I'm not impressed. Yeah, all right. Okay. Those bitches can do a lot better. They struggle with driving in a half moon. You know, you drive <laughs> drop off go what are we doing why is everyone out of the car why am I seeing your spare wheel get in the car <laughs> you know like there's so much going on and I and and I went to assembly the other morning um and they had sort of their Christmas performance and one of the mums was trying to give me heat for not knowing the teachers so what? she goes yeah she goes <coughs> excuse me she goes yeah, she was talking about a teacher. She goes, you probably don't even know half the teachers here. And Ooh. giving me that, mm, hey, and I go, no, because I work. <laughs> At work, like most of the mums, like it's rare to have a stay-at-home mum that can just be here every day at school. Lucky for you, I'm not that mum. I've got shit to do. Yeah. if there's an issue I rely on the school to do their thing and then they have to get in touch you know 
Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I love the fact that you're saying this stuff about the mums because that we're actually thinking about it all the time. We're thinking that stuff. Oh, honestly. We're so interested in this um, this idea of there was a moment that changed everything. There was a phone call or an email or a something that, and then everything just went bang from there. Did you have one of those moments? Well, I did, but as a teenager, and that has that has unlocked a lot of those moments for me. So as a teenager, I got expelled from boarding school for getting into a fight with a teacher and his wife. And then I went wait, to his wait, wife. Wait, wait, go back, go back, go back. Go back. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> what happened? That part. In my book, Rolling with the Punchlines, where there was a teacher and I was sort of, um, so this is in the 80s, and I was in charge of the primary school hall and on Sunday mornings, what do little kids like to do, but run up and down the hall, right? Like that's, and make a hell of a noise. So no one sleeps in when you have a little kid on a Sunday. And then the, the teacher and his wife, their house is adjacent to the, the hall and they would send their two primary school kids into the hall so that they could sleep in on a Sunday morning. And of course they're all making a huge racket. And then this is when they could still hit us, right? So. The teacher's wife, who had nothing to do with the school or anything, came in and yelled at the kids and then took a wooden spoon and gave them all one smack on the bum. Which, But then I was just waiting and she didn't smack her kids. So then I said, you forgot those two. Oh, yeah. And then she goes, I shouldn't be sassy to her. And she tried to hit me, so I hit her. Mm-hmm. And then she went back in their house, got him, came, he came out. Then he smacked me and then I just hit him back. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, I got expelled. But a lot of things in your life when you look back you go I could have handled things differently but not that I wish I'd escalated it more if you could replay it what would you do uh, I would have taken that spoon off her and given her a hiding yeah you know instead of just getting slappy about it yeah. but um then I went to town school I had to go move back home and I was going from the city to school and uh, there was a new principal and then I got a new homeroom teacher obviously everything's new and then she said to me one day because I had a real bad attitude then and then one day she said to me there's no greater waste of time than regret and when she said that to me it's like a penny drop for me and I thought oh it's true because there's a lot of things that I look back at during that time that I thought I shouldn't have done this or I wish I'd done this different you know and especially when you're a teenager your hormones are raging and and then that kind of sort of just went ding. So from that moment on, whenever I'm presented with an opportunity and I can't think of a good reason not to do it, I will do it. Like, unless it's going to do harm to me or anyone else, but I will always do it. I, I try and say yes where I can. Right. So um, so whenever that stuff, like with a comedy, Leon wanted me to do it. And then I thought, I can't think of a good reason. Like it can't harm me. So I should do it. And even when the comedy club owner phoned me the next day and said, you know, you should come back, do it again. It's a great opportunity. That's sort of a big trigger word for me, opportunity. Then I thought, yeah. So I, I always try and say yes when I can. If I can fit it in and it won't do harm and will add, then I will do it. What other things have you done along the line that you that you would probably think you would not normally say yes to, but then you've done it and then right. I live wow. in New Zealand. 
I was born in South Africa. I'd already lived in the States. I've lived in the UK. Now I'm living in New Zealand. I'm not ruling out that I won't live in any other country again, although my mother did say she would cut my throat. <laughs> um, so I think just that, like even that is major decisions that I, an opportunity came up. I saw an ad in the paper and that said, um, do you want to emigrate? And then I thought, I do. And the subheader was, why not New Zealand? And I couldn't think of one reason why not. So three months later, I arrived in New Zealand. Three months later, you just got up. Yeah. Like I was thinking about immigrating. It wasn't just a, oh, a headline really worked on, the, on me. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like there were a few things that had happened um, in South Africa that made me question if I should raise kids there. And then when I saw the headline, I thought, oh, there we go. That's, that's the answer. And then I left. And the same with, uh, as soon as I started doing comedy, like within three months, I went over to Australia and did shows there because I thought, I heard people were doing shows in Australia and I thought that's what everyone was doing. And mm -hmm. I didn't realize that I was the only one going for, you know, or that there hadn't been anyone for a while from New Zealand. So, so you've yeah. almost got a, a limitless way of thinking. Yeah, if it, if it doesn't do harm, I'll do it. Right. Okay, we need to take that one on, Sonia. If it doesn't do harm, we'll do it. Yeah. yeah. You know what? You know, you know how you said before about the regret. That's that's actually my favorite yeah. quote. And I don't know if it's before this, but it's from the movie Gladiator. Fear is never as frightening as regret. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's I've got it written everywhere, all over the place. I love that so much because I never want to, yeah, we just never want to. It seems so useless. But you also just skipped over something there that's I think is pretty important. And maybe this is where some of that comes. You had some pretty horrific things happen when you were living in South Africa. You had to, you know, home invasion, people off with cricket bats and all kinds of things. Like home was really hard for you, wasn't it? Like it was a it was a scary place at times. Yeah, but again, because I, I don't focus on that kind of stuff. Like I worked at the newspaper in South Africa um, in their production, you know, the ad side of things. I was a production manager. And so I would sign the paper off every day. So what me, that meant was we would wait till the last minute. Um, this is before digital. We would wait for the last minute and then we would sign off the paper. So if any big news stories came in, like September 11th, Princess Diana dying, stuff like that. Then we pull the page, the page one and three, redo with the big stories. And yeah. um, so there was a lot of crime and we got all of, like the police would send their film to be developed and we would get a copy and they would get a copy. So we would get all of the crime photos, all of the crime news every day. Yeah. And I could see the photos getting more and more and more. The, you know, because I worked there for 12 years. So it went from like five photos a day to like a stack, you know. Mm -hmm. And and it was so, I remember one of our front pages, we just, we didn't post the crime. Because in Africa, they, they post the photos. Like the crime photos just go out. There's no blurring. There's no, this is what happened. Boom, in your face. Okay. Um, but one of the articles that we did was so horrific that we didn't post the photo. We just put a white box with a frame around it. And just went, we're not posting the photos here. This is horrific. And then it just got to a point where I said to my mom, you know, I want to have kids. And my partner at the time had a, had a son who was six. And I said, like, I just see all the stuff that happens. And I don't, I don't know if I necessarily want them to be exposed to it. You know, kids should be kids. They shouldn't worry about armed robberies and, you know, sexual assault and stuff like that. And then I said, oh, I'm thinking... I might immigrate. I just don't know where yet. I don't know 
you know, because I had residency in the States at this point. I said, oh, I don't know if I want to go back there, though, because culturally they're quite different, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, then the ad for the Want to Immigrate came up for New Zealand and I just hopped on that. So what are some of the things that you've probably learnt from the newspaper that's helped your career now? Well, I mean, it's sort of a limitless question. It's like, you know, because I started working there when I was 18 as an apprentice. And so everything from, I think, the human condition, like you literally meet every type of person I think there is out there you know, or you realize how many different types, you know, you, you read the paper and you think it's only what you can see in the stars, you know, (laughs) but there are so many different types of people. And, you know, the people that sort of not only write to the editor, but come and see the editor every day and, you know, just the crime and, and it's insane. It's just, it's great too. Like it's, you know, it's not all bad, but yeah, it's kind of, but still, I, I still have contact with all of those people too that I worked with when I worked at the newspaper because it's so, um, it's, it's a very bonding experience, you oh. know, because you see the absolute worst, but also the best. So tell us, like, how has, um, like, tell us about comedy. What's this whole world been like? Like, what's, has it been a whirlwind? Has it been lots of fun? Um, you know, the highs and lows. What's, what's the world of comedy been like? It's been such a, because I came in like literally not knowing anything. It's like, if you start working at a place tomorrow that makes the little plastic endings for shoelaces and you go, I didn't realize it was such a big industry, (laughs) you know, like it's just, it's everywhere. And it's, you know, and when I just started, I thought, this is great. And as soon as I won Best Newcomer, I thought that was it. I was done now. I'd done comedy and I had won. So, you know, this, I'm done now. Um, but then I just kept getting bookings for stuff like I've helped on work on movie scripts and stuff where they'll send me a character and go, can you make sure this one is funny or, you oh, know, that's an awesome job. That's it's great. It's amazing where they go, you don't need to write. This is the actual script. It needs to stay with the storyline. Just make sure all the comebacks are funny or at least one in three is funny. Like, yes, I can do that. Oh. Um, you know, or, doing ads sort of the funny side of because I'm used to doing the design thing for it mm-hmm. but and I don't I don't go in ads like off I haven't done a tv ad well I've done one for the heart foundation but there was almost like a charity thing and for motor neuron disease mm-hmm. uh, but I don't do you know like I don't partner with anyone yeah that's on my buzz um good on anyone doing it but it's yeah. not for me yeah uh, but just working on that side of things where they go, we want to do this. We want to make sure the ad is funny or, you know, what can you suggest? Working on the project, doing news stuff, you know, like actual hard. And you go, oh, I didn't realise this is all part of it. This is great. Yeah, yeah. And the community seems to be so um, welcoming and tight, like the community uh, of comedy. Like I saw you on Instagram last night taking a piss out of Tommy Little for wearing a hat that looked like a toy. <laughs> And I just thought that's just such a, like, that's just us watching friends play out and have it take, you know, have a go at each other. Um, oh, yeah. And it seems. I mean, you, you have to think like I'm a, I would say a festival comic, right. And a circuit course. So I work all the circuits. I, I do my warm up gigs in these little pubs or 
you know, and, and so does everyone else. And then, like, say Nazim Hussein, who's a very good friend of mine, but him and I have been to Montreal, we've been to Edinburgh, we've been to London, we've been, you name it, we've travelled the world together yeah. um, doing comedy. And everyone else who does comedy, like Tommy and I have been in Montreal together, you can't be on the road basically with these people for nine months out of the year and not be tight-knit. Like, if you don't get on with with the people that you work with, I think you're in for a really tough time. Mm, yeah. Because it is very, it's kind of, it's sort of the weirdest industry that I can picture. I, uh, there's possibly others out there that's similar. Um, but because you work alone, it's just me on stage, it's me backstage, I'm always alone. But I'm never alone because if I'm at a festival, as soon as I leave the room, somebody will be there and go, oh, my God, Nazim, that was annoyed me. Or, you know, like when we, him and I did our first Edinburgh together, and Edinburgh is, it is tough. Why? Um, and we were flying together. We spent as much time together as we could, and he would come and hang out with my kids because I had the whole family there. Oh, wow. Um, you know, sort of just to have that kind of touch of normal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's tough. And then we've got friends like him and I have this whole sort of bubble with Irish comics, comics from New York and mm. comics from the UK, you know, and we're the ones that always do the festivals together. So it is very tight knit. Yeah, yeah. Do you miss your family with all that travel? Yes and no. Uh, <laughs> we get it. Don't worry, we get it because we do travel no, too. And so no, there are lots of times where you go, mm, missing anyone uh FaceTime, FaceTime have, have changed it and you know what uh, this is actually a friend of mine her dad she's the same age as me and her dad is a commercial fisherman or was a commercial fisherman he's retired now because we're nearing nearing retirement age or anyway um and she goes he her dad would go away three months and then be home for three months then be away for three months then be home for three months you know mm-hmm. on a fishing boat she goes, it never occurred to her that it was weird. And then she went to middle school, so as a teenager, and she was talking about her dad and the stuff, you know, the surprises that she was going to get. Mm. And her friends were asking her about these things, you know, these surprises. And she goes, what do you mean? Like, when he comes back, he always brings me a thing, you know, and it's like a box with surprises in. Yeah. That he would collect over three months at the various places that they dock. And mm her friends were puzzled and she goes, they were surprised that her dad went away and they felt bad for her. She goes, and all she could think is she felt terrible for them that their dads never go away because then they don't get to see him again. Like she sees her dad now, happy she is. And the the surprises, you know. Yeah, yeah. I always think about that and I go, you know, my kids, both of them, one's four, one's seven. They've both been around the world twice. They've been to Disneyland, they've been to Africa, to Botswana, to Mozambique, to Edinburgh, to London, you know, you name it, they've been there. Mm. And then I think if I didn't do what I do, they wouldn't have those opportunities. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, if I go, oh, I'm going to be away for, like, recently 10 weeks, which was only supposed to be six, but then it kind of escalated. Um, That was really tough. But the whole time when I was doing it, I go, I'm doing this. But then when I go home, I'll be home for six months. And so how did you deal with that whole pandemic? Well, like, were there highs and lows? Like, what, 
You were in quarantine a lot. You were in quarantine 347 times. (laughs) Yeah. I I think I had more COVID tests than anyone I know. Um, You're desensitised now when they shove that thing up your nose. You're like, whatever, just give us past it. Harder. (laughs) (laughs) I can't be trusted around the earbud. You leave one in the house already. (laughs) Put it down. (laughs) You know what? I didn't mind it, actually. I honestly didn't. I was... um, for the so the whole time I never watched anything on Netflix. I did a lot of writing, I did a lot of podcasts, I did a lot of um, you know, hey Mark, your wife loves you a lot videos for people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kept busy, I drank hot coffee and I had bubble baths and I didn't sit on the plug. Like that was my dream. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> um I didn't mind it. I was angry. Um not angry, angry is wrong. I was pissed off when uh, we were in Melbourne and I had to isolate for where the outbreak on set. Yeah. And then they said, we're the masked singer, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. On the masked singer. So we had the outbreak and we had the outbreak on our last day of filming. Oh. So then the next, oh, uh, the next morning, um, seven o'clock, I was bound to fly back to New Zealand and to do two weeks of quarantine here. And then they go, no, no, you have to isolate for 48 hours. So I was like, all right, 48 hours, I can do that. I can do that. So I sort of psyched myself up. 48 hours going, you know, and then it turned out I was a close contact. So then I had to go into quarantine for two weeks waiting. And that two weeks really made me pissy, you know, (laughs) sort of, I was sulking because I I didn't build it up in my mind. Like if I know I have to do something, even if it's shitty, I go, okay, let me think about it. These are the good, these are the bad. This can be the best possible outcome. Mm. But then I always go, okay, fine. Like just knuckle, white knuckle through it, you'll be fine. Mm. Make sure you do something constructive in that time. But because I didn't picture this, you know, it wasn't part of the vision board. Um, I got real shitty. But then I said, like, because at that point, I'd made a video every single day. And the amount of people who would slide into my DMs go, you know, I've had such a bad depression. Your videos have done this. Or mm. thank you so much. Or... You know, my mom just got diagnosed with cancer. I was FaceTiming people's mothers. Like that's the kind of time I had, um, you know, people going through cancer treatment would go, um, this is happening. I'm really dark at the moment. And then I would FaceTime them and go, mate, you're fine. Like I would sit with people and chat. But when that happened, I was real shitty. And then I said to people, I go, I'm not going to be on here for a bit because I don't feel very funny at the moment. Yeah, I saw that bit. Yeah, because I think it's important that we're honest. Go, you yeah. know what? I'm not going through a great time at the moment. Yeah. And this is, you know, so I'll see you at the end of or when I feel better. I still post it, you know, but I just, I want people to know, you know, like I I, I do have really high spirits. <laughs> like I'm an extremely positive person. It's almost annoying. But uh, when I get shitty, I'm shitty. But then I'm honest about it. And I go, I'm not doing great at the moment. So I'm just going to focus on me for a bit. Mm. I think that's really important to be able to be really vulnerable and that actually made that was at a time when in our like within Melbourne when restrictions were just never ending we didn't know when they were going to stop like it was not a good feeling within there was a vibe in Melbourne that was just really really low and then you're posting all this funny stuff and then you kind of go oh she's doing okay she's doing okay and in in some sense we're posting things like 
this is not the best day for us. And then when you posted that, I really liked that and remembered that because it stuck in my mind to go, she's feeling just like I'm feeling and that's okay. And it was kind of like collectively anyone that was in Melbourne, we were all just, this was really going downhill. And I think that as, um, as time has gone on, we've been able to talk about it and say, oh, that was a really tough time. And I think that it's really important for us all to be able to share that because we're not always on a high. No, we're not. And that's why I say honesty is the best, the best thing you can do. I mean, I was staying in a shitty apartment because I have such a, I'm like, I don't even care if my management sends through photos of Airbnbs where I'm staying. I go, I don't care. I'm just going to sleep there as mm. long as it's clean, even if it's not clean, because I love cleaning. So they know they book me in and they bring some cleaning stuff and I clean the apartment anyway. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Um, as long as I'm close to the golf course. So I was staying in Albert Park. So I was going through the Melbourne lockdown. So even while I was working before the breakout, we I had one hour a day for walk around and then um, I couldn't play golf, which is sort of my saving grace, you know, because mm. it just keeps me, I walk around, it's a great exercise and it's silence because mm. there's so much noise. There's always people around me. So I find golf really calming. Um, and then I said, I'll stay at Albert Park because then I can just walk across and go play golf but of course while I was in quarantine in Sydney Melbourne went into level four lockdown and so I just took my golf clubs for a trip for 10 weeks never left <laughs> the bag um so I was like oh I you know and I walked for an hour a day and I tried to I stayed within a 5k radius of Julia Morris and Nazim Hussain mm -hmm. so that they could we you know we could walk but then we couldn't because it, it sort of busted out one hour i've got one video of naz running back to his house where he was so scared i go dude just no one's gonna stop you no one's gonna go what time did you leave <laughs> but he's such a john a citizen he's like no no i'm gonna i have to run back because he doesn't want to get in trouble <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. Do you love hanging out with Julia Morris? She's just a bloody funny, isn't she? She's so good. She's the best. And her husband is the best cook. So whenever I'm in Melbourne, I always try and go to their house for food. I used to run nightclubs and Julia would come in to um, do some comedy and stuff at, at one, of, one of my clubs. And I remember the very first meeting with her, I got some drinks for some of the other, you know, comedians and she came up and they said, oh, this is Sonia. She said, I had a crown lager that I was about to give to somebody else. And she said, oh, hi, Sonia, can I have a suck of your crownie? And that was the first time that she said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I've yeah. her ever since. I think she's divine. Yeah, she's amazing. I love her. You know, I met her my first year, because the first time I ever did Melbourne, I did a, a double bill with a friend of mine Ruben and we just did half a run a two-week run called his and hers just to suss it out to see if we want to do Melbourne the next year yeah. which I then went back the next year and I did this little um 60-seater room at Town Hall and Julia came and she saw my show and then she was tweeting about it and telling everyone to come to the show I had no idea who she was because, of course, comedy is so far, like, it's a whole other world to me that I don't know any of the players in. Mm. And then after my show, she, she came up to me and she goes, so I recognised her name from social media because she's been the one pushing my show. And she goes, um, are you here with anyone? I'm like, no, because I was couch surfing at the time. She goes, um, oh, you should come to my house. Uh, you know, we do a 
Easter lunch for, for all the comics who's flying solo. I'm like, oh, nice. So gave me the address. I took a taxi to her house. I got out. I was like, Jesus, she's doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> and then only afterwards did I look her up. I'm like, oh, okay. But she was, she's just super supportive from day one. Um, always checking. She literally sent me a message as I was logging on to you guys because she's they busy doing um, I'm a Celebrity. Yeah. And, yeah, she's just super supportive. Nothing has ever changed, you know. I know if, if anything, she's one of those people that you can find four o'clock in the morning and go, I'm stuck and, you know, I, I don't have a phone. Can you come and get me or whatever? And she'll come and get you. Oh, I love that. That's, I love a, that's really, that's really good to be like that. <laughs> yeah. And it's good to have really good friends within this industry as well, because this yeah. industry can be, it's a lot, you know, it's a lonely industry. So when you've got someone that you feel that connection with, yeah, it just makes it so much easier and not so alone. Yeah. Well, there's a few people, like I have to say, the Australian comics, like, you know, Sam, all of them. Yeah. I've had, I've, I, I don't know if I've just been really lucky, but um, yeah, I've made some really good connections and friends within the industry mm. and it, it just makes it so much easier. I think um, it's the vibe that you put out, Ursula, as well. You know, you're collecting the good ones. You're collecting the good ones. Hey, I wanted to ask you um, that, you know, we, we hear a lot of the comedians, particularly like overseas, you know, that they talk quite openly about their, you know, mental health struggles and that they're sort of a bit tortured and that they find there's lots of hard times and then they come up with this amazing comedy and we go, that doesn't compute to us. How can you feel like that in real life and then just be so incredibly, you know, light and funny and stuff? You just seem to be all the time just this really light you know, in person who's just enjoying themselves. Has there been tough times apart from like a little global pandemic? Has there been <laughs> tough times? I, I try to focus on the positive. Yeah. You know, the other, and, and also I work through my shit. I've got a therapist right. and even like I try and preempt, like before my Netflix special came out, I went and I, I saw every day for a week and I said, look, this is going to come out. So I'm potentially going to take some heat online, um, you know, and sort of just sort of, make sure preemptively if you know you know you're going on holiday with your mother-in-law whatever you go mm -hmm. okay I'm gonna need to have some emotional bricks in here to give me some tools to work through this stuff mm -hmm. because I realize I can't do it by myself so how are you went into therapy every day before because you know yeah. we're like we're therapy crazy so we'd love it and think that yeah. it, you need it in your life like and I think and it's great that you're if you're adult and you're sucking in air, you need therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Nicely said. So you yeah. did it every day. Tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, well, she's based in Melbourne. I'm in Auckland, so we FaceTime. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I, if I know something big's coming up or, you know, there's some trigger things for me, then I go, I need to talk to my therapist. And then I'll talk to her every day and I go, this is what's coming up. And I do everything from um, CBT to you know, anger management, everything, you know, in the spectrum. Because, I mean, honestly, when like, I don't think there's a human being alive who doesn't have something, you know, everything from anxiety, PTSD, you name it. There's so such a huge spectrum that you can hit with a dart and you'll find something, you know. So I think even if, if you're super balanced and super centered and you think everything's fine, 
just go talk to a therapist, you know, have a few, if the therapist go, look, I've got nothing. There's nothing I can, mm. you know, because the first time I went, I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, I've got a bit of a temper. Yeah. Yeah. No, but other than that, I'm fine. Like the temper really helps my comedy because I feel <laughs> like a lot of people are angry. Yeah. And then they go, okay, yeah, you probably don't need to be here. But then, and then 20 minutes later, you're bawling your eyes out talking about <laughs> your teacher when you were seven you're like ah, what is happening <laughs> you know, so. but yeah I, I think it's super important I think you should you know so yeah I do have dark times and I have days where I go today it's not a good day but then I acknowledge and and I lean into my like when I say I I, I know to recognize if it's anger if I'm sulking if I'm just being sh a bit shitty because there's a big difference between those you know like the level where they sit and the root system is, you know, the, the deepness really depends on your day. So you have to acknowledge it. And also if I go today is one of those days where I just want to cry in the bath, mm. you know what I mean? You just like, have that day, take it, but then go, okay. But tonight I need to pull my shit together and get on with my day. Yeah. Mm. That's God. That's our whole theme, isn't it, Sasha? It's a whole oh, thing. You don't 100%. stay there. We yeah, say we pick up a bit of depression and then we put it back down again when we're yeah, finished. Yeah. Yes. So so this is, um, I don't know if it's a poem or, or that is written by Orion Mountain Dream and it's called The Invitation. And in it, and I had it on my Facebook for a long time. I don't know if it's still there in my info. Um, but in it, it says, I want to know that at the end of a night of despair, you can still get up and do what needs to be done to feed the kids. And that always, so when I do have a tough time, I always think about that. Can you pull your shit together and just still do what needs to be done? Yeah, amazing. Oh, we love that. Well, it's next level resilience, isn't it? It's, yeah. I call that space being like, oh, I can curl up on the couch in the fetal position and cry for a little bit, but I'm not going to live there. So I can visit that space, yeah. Yeah. but I'm not going to live there. Because if I live there, it's not healthy but yeah. visit it to release it yeah. and then move on. And everybody does that. Yeah. But then some people live there. Yeah. But you know what, what, why it becomes your home is when you don't give it enough air. If you don't acknowledge it, then all mm. of a sudden it takes over. It takes you instead of you controlling it. It controls you. Mm. You have to go. Today is that day. I need a moment. And then you, mm. you say to people around you, go today, like we used to call it, even when I was growing up, my mum used to call it, because I grew up without a dad, and she goes, I'm having a man day, which means she's going to do nothing today. She's just going to sit on her ass on the couch and chill out. <laughs> so even today, still, if you talk to her, she goes, I'm just having a man day today. And you know, oh, she's in that spot. You know, I call it crying in the bath days, and she calls it man days. But whatever mm -hmm. you call it, you need to give it some, go, you know what, let's lean into it. It's yeah. like when, when something's sore and you push it, and the pain goes away, and then you sort of, leave it and it rushes back well you need to address that you know so yeah because a lot of it's funny right because a lot of comedians um in the flip side of being really funny actually have quite a really dark side yeah yeah I don't think I have that I think I'm the same all the time even my wife goes I'm always the same I'm just louder when I'm on stage no. I'm sort of me but magnified yeah 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 yeah. So what, when you brought out that Netflix special, what are some of the things that you're afraid of or that you, what are some of that stuff? 
Well, because you always get a social media backlash on anything, you know. So in there, I talk about anti-vaxxers and how stupid they are. Uh, so, of course, anti-vaxxers had a go. Um, I talk about cyclists. So, of course, cyclists had a go. You know, <laughs> <laughs> How do you come back with the anti-vaxxers and how are they going to go when we all have to have a jab before yeah. we bloody walk out to the supermarket? I know, but you know what? Like, I don't, like, the anti-vaxxers don't really bother me. I don't engage too much with them because you, you're you never going to change anyone's mind yeah. on Facebook. You're just mm-hmm. not. Nah. Yeah. I just block. The minute they go, and even now, like, I posted something about Donald Trump the other day, and I literally just said, "I think he's sexier in the f- in the feet because oh, uh, he's got a neck vagina." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I saw that one. Yeah, neck vagina. Some people got really upset because I would just block and delete their their comments because I it's stupid. Like they they talking about how he might still win. It's like no, he oh. don't be ridiculous. I'm just going to block this because you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But then people go, I can't believe. So this one person made a whole new account, came back and said, this is what this person that you lot revere just deleted my comment. Yeah, because you were talking about how great Trump is. So I just looked at that and I blocked that one too. I go, how many email addresses do you want to make today? Because I will block them all. Let's get going. We've got, we've got. Um, yeah, I mean, I always say, if, if you get, like, I've got friends who, who keep going, keep going about the same stuff and have had years and years and years of, fighting with anti-vaxxers online. Okay, why do you do that? It's literally like trying to tell dog shit not to stink. You can't. You're not going to make a breakthrough here. There's not one anti-vaxxer that's going to go, hang on. So you're saying the science support you and the blogs support me. Let's think about this. Uh. (laughs) All right. It's never going to happen. Like, I don't understand how people get so angry. Like, firstly, why, if you don't like me, don't watch me. Yeah. Right? And scroll on. It's not that hard. Scroll on. Do a bit yeah. of and don't and follow me. Back. Nobody's asking you to do yeah. that. And then secondly, what? it's comedy. Mm. Yeah. You know, some of the I'm, stuff that you're actually talking about might not actually be the exact way that you feel because comedy is just everything blown up much bigger so you might not have an absolute deep inside hatred for comedian for anti-vaxxers but you think that the whole thing is quite funny so you're going to make a story out of it whereas if you don't want a vaccine don't vaccine i couldn't give a crap really yeah i always say you have to look at some situations and go oh this looks a lot like none of my business and then move on (laughs) (laughs) but also for for every comment comic who doesn't support um anti-vaxxers you'll find one who's into your brand of weird go yeah. support that person mm. but i just like people who come onto my fan page and like this one woman said to me and i didn't diss uh donald trump because i don't think we should be bullying each other online so all i said was i think he's sexier now that he's mm. you know defeated mm. um and but i might it might just be the neck vagina and that's <laughs> it it was a joke because i could see the neck vagina and i mean <laughs> once you see it you can't oh you can't stop you can't not see it i saw it so, so then I said that, and then a woman had a real go at me for bullying. She goes, bullying, and I went, no, I don't think so. And that's all I said, and then she just kept hammering. But because I then restricted her, so I could see what she was posting, but no one else could. Yeah. So, But she went hard out. Like, 
she was in full, she had just knuckled down on the bullying herself, whereas I just said, I don't think so. And then a couple of times I went back at her um, before I restricted her. So we had like four or five interactions and then I went, oh, this one, this one ain't very bright. This is one of those smooth brains that they took about. So I'm going to go ahead and restrict this one. But then I took my kids to the movies and the arcade and the park and I came back and she was still going hard out. And I, I go, you know, I just spent a lovely day with my kids and she was talking about how she's standing up for Donald Trump and for this bullying because she's trying to teach her kids not to bully. And I'm like, uh, okay. And, and I said to her, I go, you know what? I just spent a lovely day with my kids while you were on here defending Donald Trump, yeah. not being bullied. How was your day? How's your <laughs> We call them long-time listeners first, you know, those ones that just got too much, <laughs> yeah. too much time on their hands. Have you ever had anything like with the haters that has like affected you where you read that and you're like, oh, for one moment, you've just yeah. gone too far. Yeah, no, there has been, there has been. And not so much lately because I, it's their shit, not mine. And, and therapy has helped with that. But some of it still does. But I've had some, you know, sort of a massive onslaught once because I said something about cocaine on have been paying attention and I got the entire country of Colombia gunning. <laughs> Oh my it God. was so bad. Facebook and Instagram shut down my accounts for two weeks because they said they couldn't guarantee my safety. What? I had like 8,000 death threats within an hour. It was insane. Are you serious? This is something oh that actually God. Colombians got involved in and got pissed off with you about. What? Yeah. Because it was during the Soccer World Cup too. So it just, and you know, I like, I just, I just went, this is, uh, this is them. It's not me. And they were like, oh, we want an apology. And I'm like, no. Don't think so. No. And Channel 10 did the same and we got the lawyers involved. And I just went, no. You know, if if the person who initially took umbrage to it had come to me and gone, hey, not happy about this. We want an apology. And instead of going, we're going to murder you and your entire family. <laughs> but then I went, no, that doesn't say give us a polite apology. Ursula, that is crazy. Did you get scared? Yeah. Yeah, I had people pushing stuff through my actual letterbox at home. No way. And then there's a, a comedian what, here what who's from Chile, and they were asking him, people um, were getting in touch with him, asking him for my phone number and where I live. Yeah, it was Over a one joke on yeah. a television show. Yeah, it wasn't even a, you know, like, it wasn't, it wasn't racist, it wasn't, you know. Does that make you then go, you have to run that through your, through the, your sieve before you put anything out? No, oh, good, good. No, I just, and this is what I said to someone too, because you get a lot of, especially guys, go, well, you can't say anything anymore. Okay, yeah, you can. Yeah. But then go, everyone takes offence. Go, the people who take offence probably should take offence, you know, to what you're saying. Because I go, because I have heaps of people asking me about the LGBTQI plus uh, community, and I'm like, yeah, just don't say anything offensive. And they go, yeah, well, I don't even know. Sometimes you look at someone and you don't know. I go, yeah, but then that's one of those scenarios where you go, this is none of my business. Yeah, I go, if you just remember not to be an asshole, you're 100% okay. Yeah. Like, don't be offensive towards anyone's sexuality, religion. Like, you know, you know all that stuff your mom taught you when you were little? Mm -hmm. Don't talk about religion. Don't talk about money. Don't talk about politics. Then you're fine. Yeah. 
Do you have some go-to things that you won't talk about? Yeah, rape and abuse. Yeah. Yeah. I just think people come out and I think like I grew up in extreme poverty, right? So I always think this could be someone's only time that they're coming out for the month or the year or whatever, you know, like you have one social thing where you go, okay, we've booked the babysitter. We've got to have dinner. We're going to the show. Like this is a big expense for someone who's just on a normal salary. You know, it's a big thing. So you don't want to go out now. Someone's sitting in the audience. I'm cracking rape jokes and abuse jokes and, Mm. you know, and you're hitting them on the most tender spot that they have repeatedly why why would you want someone who's just coming out to have a laugh uh, why would you remind them of the most horrific thing that has ever happened yeah so i don't see the uh, i wouldn't want that you know if you're sitting go how's this funny mm-hmm. i always say unless you yourself have a hilarious rape story about you <laughs> and you want to tell that story about how you were hilariously raped don't bring it up. Why? It's horrific. You don't want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. When you when you're doing your comedy um, overseas, is there anything that that hasn't translated? Like, have you done? So, for instance, when we were in New Zealand, we did a couple of speaking gigs in New Zealand last year, and I'd make a joke about an esky. Like we're speakers in in universities and schools, so not com- not comedians, but I make a joke about an esky, and they just blank look. And the teacher said, "That's a that's a chili bin," and I was like, "Oh, I didn't know what the hell's a chili bin. I've never heard of that before in my life." And then we interviewed the sushi mango guys the other night, um, who do you know a lot of that sort of you know um, ethnic comedy. They say, and they when in Canada and they were talking about peeing on the lemon tree and they're like, we don't have lemon trees in Canada because it's too cold. So it all just, you know, just dropped. Yeah. Is there stuff like that that you can think of that's been funny? Oh yeah. There's heaps of stuff like that. Yeah. That I would say. And then, or even like when you go, you know, like I never know which country has a sidewalk and which one has a pavement. A path or a pavement. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So then um, I remember once in um, Melbourne, during our opening, I always tried to do like the first 10 minutes of my shows is just riffing with the audience and talking about what's been going on. Yeah. And I was saying about on the um, pavement and everyone was like this. <laughs> and then I, so, but instead of like, I won't change it to your way. I'd rather just work it into, I go, why do you look at me like that? What is that? What is that frown on your face right now? And the guy goes, are you talking about a foot pass? I go, Yeah. I go, why do you do that? Yeah. I go, why do you as a collective went pavement? Well, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I go, you clearly know what it is. It's the thing outside that you walk on, the pavement. You know what's a pavement. Go, like you watch American movies all the time when they talk about the pavement, you know, I, I just don't know. Switch is crap off. Let's pavement. <laughs> We can't even suss it out for ourselves. And the same with the esky. Of course they know what's an esky. That's why the teacher went, it's a chili bin. <laughs> so we call it a cooler box. So I say cooler box. And then everyone's like, Sadika, listen to yourself. I see what you're doing. You're doing that foot passing again. Go, it's a box that keeps stuff cool. It's a cooler box. Yeah. <laughs> Not hard to work out. Yeah. yeah. I go, if you just think for yourself, but then, you know, sometimes people, and you can see they just, and I'm like, if you're finding the stuff that's going to self-explanatory hard, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of stuff you're missing in this show. Hard to work with. Who's your favourite comedian? Who makes you laugh? 
I really love Wanda Sykes. I think oh, yeah. she is the funniest mm. person on the planet. Yeah, and she's brilliant. Have you got to, have you got the chance to meet her or work with her or anything? I've met her a couple of times, yeah. Oh no. Oh, I actually wow. sat next to her. So okay. So um when we were in Montreal, Naz and I so I met Wanda um by myself. It wasn't a great meeting. It was in Melbourne. She's she had a few drinks in. I'm not a big drinker, and especially when I work, I don't drink. Yeah. I was at the bar, at the uh, performance bar in Melbourne, and um uh, during the festival and she was there and I was thinking I really want to meet her I love her work so much and then I was ordering something and when I turned to the side there's only me her and the bar staff <gasps> and I went I turned to her I said you're Wanda Sykes I just want to say I'm a huge fan of your work I think you're an amazing comic and she looked at me and she said why don't you fuck off <laughs> <laughs> and I did and then <sighs> No but then I saw, you know, she probably just saw some rando coming up to her and she's had a few drinks and, you know, you probably get, you must get sick of people coming up to you all the time. Yeah. You know, so I just went, Ugh. but oh. then about four years later, I went, I still loved her and I just thought, you know, she's having a rough day because people are allowed to have a rough day. Yeah. Oh, that is so generous of you though. That's really good. Cause a lot of like the best callers would be going, well, that's it, done. No, no, I didn't. I still love, I, I mean, it didn't change her jokes. She was still hilarious. So then uh, we were in Montreal filming Comedians of the World and um, doing the Just for Laughs Festival. And um, I love Dave Chappelle and so does Nazim. And mm. Nazim had actually opened for Dave. And uh, we're, we're all promoted by Live Nation. So we got invited to, after our record, we were exhausted. We're having a drink. Um well, we were having a juice in a bar. <laughs> and then I got a text because we did a warm-up gig in this little bar that only has 100, you know, capacity and got a text from someone there to go, come back to the bar. I went, okay. I said to Naz, let's go. So we went with our manager and went back um, to that bar and there were people queuing up around the block and we're like, what the hell is going on here? So we went inside and it was... Um, Dave Chappelle doing a warm-up with, um, what's that Maya guy that sings? They were doing a show together at the Montreal Stadium. So um, we went in and they were just oh, John doing... John Mayer. John Mayer. There you Rock. go. Gotcha. Yeah. So they were doing a warm-up in this little... And Kevin Hart was in there. No and, way! Oh, my God. And all these massive... I was like, oh, my God, what did we just walk into? And I, Wanda Sykes was in there. I was like... Oh my god! And, uh, just trying to play cool, you know. Mm -hmm. That's a parallel universe, yeah. right? All of those and, people are in. That's everyone. Yeah, and they go. Um, oh, Jimmy Carr was there. I was sitting next to Jimmy Carr. I was like, "What does this guy look like?" Oh my god, it's Jimmy Carr. <laughs> so, uh, then, but we were just hanging out, and then afterwards, I go, "Okay, we're going to let the audience go. Stay, go in the green room." So then we go in this green room. It was a green room. They just had a curtain out the back of the bar. Oh my God. We're sort of just waiting and I'm sitting next to Jimmy Carr and then Dave Chappelle comes in and he's got this big, you know, like big speaker and he's playing music and we just hung out there for a couple of hours <gasps> after the audience and he goes, you guys should come to the show tomorrow night. It's at the stadium. He goes, I'll hook you up because the tickets had sold out like immediately. He goes, I'll hook you up with tickets. So we go to the ticket box the next day and they go, there's no tickets for you. Oh, we phone no. and we go, we phone Live Nation. We go, there's no tickets for us. They go, oh no, it's not at the box office. You have to go backstage to the stage door. 
So we go to the stage door, security lets us in, they give us these stickers where they're in the backstage passes. They take us to the green room and here's John Mayer and Dave Chappelle and Wanda Sykes and all these people just in the green room, they chill. So we go out to the VIP area, we sit there and then the um, guy from Live Nation, Jeff, who started Live Nation, he's sitting on stage. So they've got the, in the stadium at, in Montreal, this big walkout and then there's like a pub on the stage where they've got about six or seven tables, little round tables with chairs. And you've got all these people sitting on the stage while they're performing. Mm. And Jeff sort of shows us we should come. So Nazim and I just walk down, we walk on stage. I sit next to Wanda Sykes. Oh. Um, and then we watch the show while we're sitting on stage while they're performing. It's like, yeah, oh, was wow. And what did she say that time? Like, when did you chat? Oh yeah, no, she was great. And then, and she gave me a hug and she was real chill. She goes, oh, my God, your hair smells amazing. Oh. And then we went backstage and we had drinks and stuff. And um, no one no one could open the beers because there was no bottle opener. And, of course, you know, I was like, just give me a lighter. I'm just popping beers for all these people. And that's all we were from the moon. It was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> You know, then everything was great. And I'm like, oh, I love you again. Did you actually say that you had met her earlier? You've never said that to Hell me. no. Hell no. <laughs> yeah. No. No. You're, you're right because people don't understand that there's this, There's lots of moments in your life and you never know when you're going to meet me. I'm a really friendly person, but if something, you know, if I have to call the bank and they've pissed me off, I'm yeah. the least most friendliest person ever, like in the yeah. bank. It's like the worst possible side of me you can get. So if a bank person said, oh, I've met Sasha, they'd go, she's awful. She yeah. is so not nice at all. Yeah. You, you know? always have to wonder because you don't know, and this is what I say, when you're driving on the motorway and someone shoots past you at speed and you go, look at that dickhead. <laughs> you always have to go, what's going on in that car? You don't know. I think the same thing, yeah. exactly the same thing. Yeah, I'm not in that car. I don't, you could be on your way to hospital because your child's been airlifted to the children's mm. hospital. I don't know. I'm not privy to your life. You know what I'm going to do? Get out of your way because I'm not yes. a police officer. So it's not my job to try and block you in. It's not my job to go, what's this, what's this clown up to? This is mm. not my job. Yeah. My job is to make sure I stay safe and the people in my car stay safe and I don't do anything stupid. Mm. Even if you're just driving like an idiot because you're an idiot, then that's on you. It's not on me. It's, not, mm. it's none of my business. Yeah, true story. I think that all the time. Every time I see something, I'm like, we don't know what's going on in that car. We don't know what's going on in that person's life. Exactly. I once heard this story about this guy who was on a train and he had all these kids and they were going mental on the, you know, they had four or five kids and they were going really, really psycho. And then this, this woman says, you know, can you control your kids? And he said, well, we've just come back from my, you know, my wife has just passed away and the kids are being really naughty and they're on the train and I've got nothing in me to control me. And we're just, and I have no money to get a car, nothing. And that's how I'm getting a train. And so that story has stuck in my head forever because I think, we can sit there and judge whatever, but we never know what's going on in anyone's lives. Exactly. Yeah. So see, similar. Um, I remember I when my grandmother had a stroke, my mother was racing on the, but then I did a, a fundraiser for a children's hospital, for Starship Hospital, and um, this guy came in. So it's a morning tea for 600 women, all off their chops. And we should have been sponsored by Kleenex, man. This man, there were six men in the room and 600 women. Wow. And this man got up and he told the story and he had photos and stuff of their holiday up north. 
and they were on their boat. They've got four kids and then their daughter, who's three, they put their life jackets on and then they sort of jump into the sea and swim around the boat the whole time. Like, you know, idyllic. And when he's three-year-old, he sort of lowered her in because she was too scared. When he lowered her in, she just went completely blue and her heart stopped. And then there was a nurse who had walked, because it's real remote up north in the North Island. And the nurse had walked like 20 minutes through the bush to get signal on the beach. She heard them screaming and she swam in and started doing CPR on the daughter. They found the air ambulance came, airlifted the daughter, um, and he had to then jump in a car. He just borrowed a car, jumped in it, and had to race to Auckland, which is a two and a half hour drive. Mm-hmm. And he goes, he was alone in the car. He says, I was just flooring it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always think about that guy. You just yeah. see a man alone in an Audi and you go, who is this dickhead? Yeah. No, no, he's three years old. He's just been airlifted to the children's hospital because her heart had stopped mm-hmm. and she wasn't breathing. Mm-hmm. And as far as he knows, she's dead, you know. Oh. Um, it was just inside. I mean, she made it. She had a very oh. rare condition with the adrenaline. When she gets a burst of adrenaline, her heart stops. And oh. weirdly, they had a they had a um, conference for heart surgeons in Auckland. And one of the visiting surgeons from Australia was in the Starship Hospital doing rounds with one of the. And as he was leaving, they had brought her in, and he specialises in that. And the first thing they do is they're giving her adrenaline shot. And he said, no, 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 don't give her adrenaline. That'll literally kill her. Because they had just talked about that at the conference. And if that guy wasn't there, that wouldn't have saved, you know, like all of these Oh, things. wow. Yeah. So, yeah. That's the universe on that little girl's side. Wow. Yeah. Oh, look, there wasn't a dry eye in the house that day. We've got... Our signature question, Ursula, which is because you're on the Sonia and Sasha for real show, what do you know for real? Okay, this is what I always share with the kids' friends too when they come. For real, for real, strawberries are the only fruit with the seeds on the outside. That's the best answer we've had so far, Sasha. So far. Well, we were, so, we were expecting some spiritual, you know, awakening yeah. kind of thing. I think we've had enough of that. Oh, no. <laughs> do, you, do you actually feel like pressure to be funny no. sometimes? Never? No, I'm just myself. And if it, you know, like I say, some days, some days I'm funny. Well, most days I am. And, and I think I'm from a long line. Of, like my brother is the funniest person I know. When him and I are together... My sister laughs till she actually blacks out. Like she gets blue lips the whole thing. <laughs> that's so got a weird heart to So that's why she blacks out. But it's a lot of fun for us to make her black out. <laughs> I'm going to shorten her life by five years. But <laughs> get ready with the defib. We're going in this soon. Oh, Ursula, thank you for being so thank generous you so with us much. today. And we've laughed and we've found out so much about you. And um, you're exactly like we we hoped you would be. You just like you're brilliant. So thank you so much for being with thank us you. today. And, and next time we bump into you in the airport, try and remember us a little bit just to boost our self esteem. Just to boost our self esteem a bit. But you see, obviously, it was a positive experience because I remember the bad ones really well. Oh, <laughs> that was good. No, it was we'll really, really good. We were, we'll send you a photo. We're yeah, annoying. We'll, we'll, send, we'll you send you a photo, photo of us. Yeah. Don't worry. Okay, good. So good. you've got a new show coming up. You're going to be in Melbourne in April and May. So, um, yeah, tell us about where do, where does everyone get their tickets for that? 
Yeah, or was it April or May? Is it? Um, so I'll start, I'm I'm starting my tour in February, and I think I'm just going to be in Australia for a few months. Yep. Try and see how you guys deal with the aftermath of this um, vaccine that we're getting. Um, it's on livenation.com.au or my website, ursulacarlson.com. 100% will be because we, we will absolutely love it because we just want, and thank you, thank you so much for all your entertainment that you've put online over this yeah. whole pandemic. You've really, really been, Sonia and I constantly going, have you seen it? I mean, did you see what she posted? She said, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I need, you need to see it. So it was like a big conversation between us because you were all, you were actually in the, the absolute space of where we were. Yeah. being that whole mum and in quarantine and everything. So thank you so much for making us laugh for that. Oh, no worries. Let's hope Let's hope it doesn't get to a point where I ever have to do that on the daily again. Yeah. No. What was my favourite one out of all of those? The yes. one that got me the most feedback and the most kind of friendly hate mail in my DMs. I was talking about the kids and uh, I was defrosting me and then, but just talking straight to camera and then my microwave went off and I went, let me just get the meat. And everyone's like, I thought it was my microwave. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, you know, and we've all been there. That's the thing. That that's we see ourselves in you right with the mirror. You're holding up the mirror. It's what yeah. we're doing. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Ursula Carlson, thank you so much for being with us today. You're amazing. You've been listening to Brimbank Live and Live FM. This is the Sonia and Sasha for Real Show. Sonia and Sasha, for real.